When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me as ever is the prodigiously talented statesman to my Kingsman, John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How's it going, Matt? I was very good. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Uh, Christmas was great, and uh, it was a nice, quiet New Year, but uh, celebrated with some friends and watched uh, three movies on New Year's Eve uh, in preparation for the new year to start. Can I ask which ones? Yes. Um, I watched, rewatched Hearts Beat Loud because a friend, uh, Mike Sanchez, who does top five movies with me, had not seen it, and he was over, so we threw that on. Um, I watched RBG and uh, Madeline's Madeline. Now, Hearts Beat Loud, I really enjoyed. RBG I haven't seen, and Madeline's Madeline has uh is now out on streaming i believe but i've heard different things about it i guess the question is is it any good i i am kind of unsure of how to answer that um it's it's very different uh it's um it's a movie that i feel is very tough to uh to kind of give my take on and as of now i've yet to write a review i don't think i'm going to i i feel so uh unsure of what i watched and how i feel about it but um it deals with mental health and uh it does it in a very interesting way like visually um but yeah it's 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 a tough tough one to kind of wrap my head around and i I also watched it really early in the morning on new year's eve so i think that was a bad call um (laughs) like i was giving it my attention but it was also like okay i don't know if this was the right time of day for this uh like I felt opposite of um, the same director that did Hearts Beat Loud did The Hero uh, with Sam Elliott last year. Yep. I watched that on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee. Thought it was the perfect movie for a Sunday morning. It was like quiet and contemplative, and I just felt very like zenned in to that film. Opposite with Madeline's Madeline, I felt very like what's happening. I don't know if I get what's going on. Um, I don't think my brain is ready to process this much <laughs> film. So yeah, uh, probably a bad call of when I watched that one, but. Um, that one, both, uh, that was on Prime, and RBG was on Hulu here in the States. I will, I will check out Madeline's Madeline eventually, just because of your ambiguous review there, just to see if it's any good. I only watched one film over Christmas, and it's, I think it's the very last one we're going to talk about, and to be mm. honest, it it deserves its place at the very last point of this podcast, but, um, yeah, Christmas was great over here, I got to dress up as father christmas slash santa claus for my two and a half year old she was asleep so i took some pictures um but yeah family time and then new year's eve was just again family dinner watch the fireworks have a quick beer go to bed and try and power through this year and hope for the best (laughs) um high hopes for this year though so any good resolutions or is it just the same old keep fit for the first month and then (laughs) 
I am I'm tr- I'm trying not to do the health resolution as I'm just like <laughs> saying no no I'm just happening to do things differently as no reason for the change in time. Um, but I guess like a lot of my resolutions are film based. Um, you know I want to watch some more foreign films this year. I feel like that's still a, an area that I tend to slack on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I always want to expand my older films. Um, so I I think I'm like 58 films into the 100 AFI uh, top 100 list. So I'd like to knock out the others if I can get my hands on all of them. Um, there's some in particular, and one of my biggest uh, gap areas is I've never seen Gone with the Wind. Ooh. And that's going to be in theaters um, here local on the uh, the 13th of this month. Um, and I feel like if I'm ever going to watch it, it's got to be in, on the big screen because I know the four-hour runtime at home will not survive. Like, I will grab my phone by hour two. Um, but in the theater, it's more likely I will, uh, you know, sit and watch it and, and, and really take it in. So I'm going to try to force myself to go next weekend, um, and see it if I can, but, uh, if you're going to watch Gone with the Wind for the first time, if you can watch it in a theater, that's a hell of a, do it. Yeah, for sure. And that's how I feel about most movies. If I can see it on the big screen first, I would rather, um, but uh, I did watch last night, man. Um, have you seen The Writer? No, I haven't. And I'm saying no. The Writer, R-I-D-E-R. Um, oh, The Writer. Um, no, I know you mentioned this to me, but yeah. I haven't seen that film, no. Yeah, I, I realized apparently when I say writer, it sounds like I'm saying writer, because uh, Corey and I, I spoke about that. this film last night. But um, you know, it's been a joke since we started doing this podcast that I don't like horse movies. Um, <laughs> and this is a movie about a uh, rodeo guy. Um, and, uh, Matt, I freaking loved it, um, so much, uh, it's just, it's such a compelling story, and it's so well-crafted, it's a modern-day Western, um, it's really not about the horses, although it definitely has, um, a lot to do with the rider and his connection to the horses, um, and I will say, playing Red Dead Redemption 2 for the last month, uh, has helped my, uh, maybe my appreciation for the animal, um, a little bit as the game kind of makes you become close with your horse. And, uh, but man, I'm glad I did not skip this film from the year. Um, I have not made my final statement of my top movies of the year, and there's a good chance this is going to be in my top 10. Um, I was really, really impressed. Uh, it's the filmmaker. I'm going to, I can't remember her name. It's, I think it's Zhao or Z H A O. I think it's uh, Chloe Zhao. Um, this is only her second feature and it's, it's outstanding and she's using predominantly, um, well, not predominantly, she's using non-actors. The people are essentially playing versions of themselves and, uh, it's, there's a little bit of a, like a woodedness to the, the beginning of the film, like where you can kind of, it feels like they're, they're not comfortable saying the dialogue, but as the film goes on, that seems to wear, wear off and, um, the story that's being told is so personal and, and gut wrenching that it's um, the fact that it it's based on their real lives makes it all the more like uh, meaningful. Like the, the weight of that film still sitting on me uh, almost 24 hours after watching it. Um, I don't want to oversell it, mind you, but I was really blown away. It was definitely a movie that I had kind of written off as not my style and uh, boy, was I wrong. So I'm glad I, I ended up uh, reneging on that and, giving it a chance because i loved it 
it's another film I'm going to have to check out. Every time we every time we do these podcasts, I, I end up with about five more films to sit down and watch. <laughs> but Rider, I'm just having a look at it now. It's got a lot. Of, there was a few major publications had it as their, you know, yeah. best film of the year. The Chicago Tribune, Michael Phillips, uh, Alison Wilmore, Buzzfeed, Randy Myers, San Jose Mercury News, and Variety. Peter DeBruyne there. RogerEbert.com, one of the writers, had it at number two. Hollywood Reporter, number three, one of their writers. So it's a film that's got a lot of love, but yeah. it's, I'm going to be honest, not that I'm the be-all and end-all of film uh, fans, but it's not one I'd heard of. So yeah, it's definitely now, one I want to check out now. Well, where I feel the most uh, regretful is that this was at our Florida Film Festival, and I immediately wrote it off because I was like, ah, horse movie. Horses. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I really regret. I had the opportunity to see it on the big screen, um, before, you know, most people would have had the chance. I think it might have even premiered at the festival, um, and I skipped it, so I, I'm I'm remorseful. Um, and again, I, that goes to show, never assume that you don't like a specific type of genre, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, people are like, oh, I don't like musicals, or I don't like horror films. It's like, yeah, give it a chance, you never know. Um, and I, I shouldn't, I, I had that, I don't like horse movies. Well, one, it wasn't a horse movie, technically, and two, uh, Clearly, I've been proven wrong twice this year because I also like Lean on Pete, a film you did oh. not like. Yeah, <laughs> I did not. My my the equine anger anger came over to me for that film, but I really, <laughs> really, really wanted to. I put that in my end of the review. I really wanted to like that film because I was looking forward to it. A twenty four, Charlie Plummer. I've got nothing against horses. I think they're pretty majestic, but yeah, <laughs> that film didn't work for me. I don't really have any resolutions. If anyone's listening and can give me a good resolution. Please let me know because I would love to start the AFI top 100 list or the IMDb list or the um, what, Edgar Wright list, you know, 1001 films. But maybe, I'll, maybe I'll start my own list of 1,000 films that everybody else had watched and um, hey, there you go. raise my own self-importance. Yeah, I, I started trying house. to do like my top 100 all time and I got so overwhelmed so fast because I'm just like, it's so hard to like leave things off, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, Exactly, and then you start to feel bad for leaving things off. Then you think, well, what happens if it changes next week? And then they end up throwing it out the out of the door. But that's that. Reso- again, any resolutions? Please let me or John know because it's always good to hear from anyone telling us what we should do with our movie year. But this is the bloody awesome movie podcast, and in this uh, podcast, John and myself we go back to the month which has just been, and we just dis- uh, we discuss the major releases, whether that's theatrical or streaming. Uh, we offer our thoughts and our opinions on them. So for this month, we're talking about December 2018, the end of another year. And just as a disclaimer, there will be no spoilers throughout the entire episode. And it's a pretty simple format. We've chosen four movies which we deem to be the biggest or the most interesting releases. And we discuss those in details. And after that, we have the best or the worst of the rest. So the other films we saw in December, and we kind of run through those at a quicker pace. Um, so was this the month that Netflix really had a go of, real go of it? Possibly. But let's find out in time, because however, the first movie on this list is a big one. Um, and for some, it was the most anticipated movie of the year. For most, it was definitely on their must-see list. But what we do know is it's Mary Poppins Returns. And, uh, well, this is a film I was certainly looking forward to. But directed by Robert Marshall, starring Emily Blunt, Lin-Manuel Miranda... Ben Wyshaw, Emily Mortimer, and a whole host more. It's currently standing at $213 million worldwide against a $130 million budget, 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 66% Metascore on Metacritic. So 
fans like it and the critics like it. Question is, did we like it? And uh, I'm pleased to say that yes, I ve- did like it. I thought it was, I thought it was very good. The what everybody thought this film was going to hinge on was whether Emily Blunt was any good as Mary Poppins, oh. and if she wasn't, then the film is going to tank. Emily Blunt was sublime. She wasn't trying to be Julie Andrews, which helped, but she's got this kind of sassy, stern headmistress prima propolis to her. But she always had this fun element, and especially in the scenes where they kind of get to break out a bit more and have a song and dance, she's having. She can just tell she's loving playing this character. Ben Wyshaw's great. Lin Lin Manuel Miranda is also very good. Colin Firth gets to chew the scenery. Yeah. Um, I thought the first twenty minutes were a bit slow in my screen, oh. and the kids around me were getting very fidgety. I didn't dislike it, but pretty much when Mary Poppins enters, yes, what the the foot the film really goes from there. It all leads to this. There's a, a marvelous scene through in the, in the in the middle of it, which is probably one of my favourite of the whole year. Which it just brought back such great memories of the original. It's lots of good songs in it. I didn't think the songs were outstanding, but I thought they were still very very good. Um, but I guess when you're comparing it to the songs that were in the original, and I think we need to remember just how lauded and celebrated and historic almost that first Mary Poppins is. So trying not yeah. to compare it if possible but what I liked about this is it stood alone by itself there was nods homages to the older predecessor but this stood on its own as well if you mm-hmm. haven't seen that first Mary Poppins you can still go into returns and have such a great time on it there were things I weren't sold on but firstly what did you think about it um I got to see this uh, a bit earlier because I went to a critic screening um back in November and before, I want to set this up, because it wasn't just critics, it was a D23 end critic screening screening. So, uh, I guess you buy, like, a subscription to the, the Disney D23 membership, or whatever. And yeah. so there were kids in my screening. And the screening got delayed by half an hour. And the kids were literally running, and, like, I, I usually sit in the uh, the section where there's, like, a gap between the front house and the back house. So there's like yeah. this more foot room, right? Well, the kids are running back and forth between like this big section. Um, I was very tempted to extend my leg at one point <laughs> and send them down the stairs, but I didn't. Horses and children. But yeah, <laughs> I like children normally, but I don't like when children are allowed to run wild. And that's what like the parents, rather than fighting them, kind of let them burn off energy, which I think was a benefit because by the time the movie started, they did sit down and, and shut up. Like, they weren't talking. They would watch the movie. Um, and I, when the, the film ended, the, the whole audience, including the critics, were, I think, delightfully pleased, applauded. Um, not something I've, I've witnessed at a lot of other critic screenings. And I was, I was thrilled. I grew up with Mary Poppins, as m- most of us our age. And, of course, it was... Uh, we grew up with it in the sense that our grandparents or parents showed it to us. Yes. It wasn't, you know, new to us. It was it was new to us, but not new for us. And um, I was worried with a sequel this far out that they were just going to, like, here's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious number two. And they didn't do that. Um, 54 years has passed, yeah. Yeah, like, you you don't get rehashing of the exact same content, yet you, you get the references. Like, you can basically you know, cut this movie and say this scene is this scene from that movie and this is yeah. that moment, but it's its own thing. It's not a direct redo or rehash. Um, and I felt like that was a, uh, 
excellent choice on the filmmaker's part um, to not just regurgitate old Mary Poppins and let this be something new. These are new children. These are not the same children a year later. This is, you know, the children of the children from the first movie. Emily Blunt, like you said, absolutely marvelous. Uh, her attitude, the the presence, it's so perfect. And I loved her. This is this has been the year of Emily Blunt. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. just so much about what she's done this year has been stupendous. I loved her in A Quiet Place. I love her in Mary Poppins Returns. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda um, gets my favorite song, I think. Uh, both the two of the songs in the movie that I, I still remember um, this far out. Uh, the animated sequence, that song is probably my favorite song. The the read a book or what, something with a book. I can't come with the term right now, but it has been a month since I watched this movie. Um, I love that song. And then the song about the, uh, the light... Again, I can't think of the name of what what his job is, but that the replacement of the Chim Chimney song, basically, I oh, also yeah. really enjoyed a whole lot. Um, and of course, there's some cameos who I won't say because I feel like that is a spoiler that were marvelous um, in this movie that I was really uh, sold by. And one not not as much a cameo though. The Meryl Streep role has been bashed by a lot of yeah. other people. Um, I didn't dislike it at all. I, I it sounds like you didn't like it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we've 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 mentioned that before. That was one of the things. Oh, uh, she that this is the one time Meryl Streep was not gunning for an Academy Award because that yes. scene took me out of the whole film. <laughs> I've heard some people really did like it, and I'm a I'm a uh, a devout follower of Meryl Streep. I think she's superb, mostly, but and I get it. And I, I'm not uh, I'm not Scrooge. I get it. It's just obviously some fun, and she's letting her hair down. But just some, it just felt like somebody at Disney just thought we can't say no if Meryl Streep wants to be in this film it's like she <laughs> said can I be in this and they're like uh, where can we fit her in um it didn't right. I didn't like her character or the portrayal shall we say yeah I I did um I mean I, I don't like I could live without that scene like it's not the scene that I think of when I think of this movie but I thought it was entertaining I had no issues with it um you know uh, kind of like uh, Moana um, the Tomatoa scene when they, yeah. they like a lot of people even when I saw it the first time that was my least favorite song it felt so out of place it felt jarring um, but in hindsight when I listened to the soundtrack I really like that song it's probably one of my favorite songs and I feel like it's grown on me since then and that's kind of where I felt with this scene is like I can see why people say it takes them out of the movie but I kind of enjoyed it for the moment like I took it as just like oh this is a really one-off crazy kind of silly moment yeah Uh, and i do also like meryl streep maybe i'm too forgiving um of her (laughs) at times but i i did i didn't dislike that scene whatsoever um but again not my favorite scene i definitely think uh the callback to the the hybrid animation live action was my favorite um sequence in the film but uh i i enjoyed it i actually am wanting to see it again my wife and daughter have not seen it yet and i want to take them we just have not been able to uh set up a time to go and do it so hoping i'm going to see it in the theater one more time um i will be uh likely adding it to my collection though and I, it has made me want to rewatch the first one which i don't own and um i want to own but you know how disney gets a little they never reduce their prices so no not over here they don't either yeah so i have i've yet to add it to my collection but that's one i want to add um i think that song was it a cover is not the book i think was the one yes. the animated yes and um, was it trip a little like fantastic was that's, that the one that is it 
lot of people have been talking about that song. Yeah. The, that, that anim- okay, now that you've mentioned it, the, that animated scene was one of my favourite scenes in the entirety of 2018. I, I just sat there in absolute awe and just wonderment because it just took me back to when I was, mm-hmm. what, four or five, however old I was, and I saw the first one. Oh, yeah. And it, it just looked the same, obviously newer slightly but it had the exact same aesthetic and feel and tone and fun to it uh-huh. which is what i was looking for so yeah that scene was i i really it really enjoyed that scene um the i like the ending not the very ending of it but the kind of climax to the journey i wasn't overly sold on in terms of how everything came together at the end and yeah. the face off and all that I wasn't massively sold on that but the actual ending i liked that i thought that was magical but yeah that's i it wasn't as magical as the original for me, but it didn't, again, it didn't have to be. It, I'm, I, I'm just obviously relieved as well that it was good. I knew it was going to be at least good, I was hoping for, but thankfully I found it, I found it to be, just like you did, very, very good. Um, it was... Like, there was that fear going in that, what happens, what happens if this is not, really not very good? What, what, where are we going to go from here? But um, if it wasn't for Emily Blunt as well, not saying that she makes the film, but as the titular character, had she not been up to scratch or on point, I do think the film would have suffered quite a lot, I think. Because whilst everybody else is very good, even the kids for once, I think had the Mary Poppins character not worked, we would have been in trouble. But Emily Blunt, it is, it, she's got such good versatility and range from A Quiet Place to this and everything else in between. Things like Sicario a few years ago, she, she's shown that she can do the magical... The horror, you know, kicking ass with a massive gun. You know, there's nothing seemingly she can't do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Edge of Tomorrow, um, like, yes. that she's just, like, and then, like, when you think back to Devil's Wear Prada, you know, where she's, like, the side character, uh, antagonistic friend of, of, um, Anne Hathaway, you know, like. I forgot about that film. Yeah, and, wow. and there's her and Meryl Streep again. Um, yes. So, you know, uh, I, I, she's, I've been a fan of hers for a while. She just continues to impress. Um, I don't know if you saw, um, the movie, oh, Sunshine, Sunshine Cleaning. Um, no. I think she's Amy Adams' sister in that, if I'm not okay. mistaken. I, th- I can't remember for sure if it's Amy Adams who's in the lead, but, um, it's one of Corey, who I do, uh, movie club with for our listeners on this show. Um, it's one of her favorite movies. I like it. It's not the best uh but emily blunt uh is supposed to be american there and her british accent shines through a couple of times um but otherwise like it's it's still a really good dramatic kind of performance for her too she's just great and i really really liked her in um in mary poppins i thought she nailed the role before we go anywhere we're getting to that time of the season in the next month or two is Emily Blunt going to be up for the best best actress Oscar? Is Mary Poppins likely to get any love at the Academy? I I would say uh, probably for song, uh, maybe original soundtrack, um, possibly production design because of uh, yeah. the costuming and then uh, um, the whole animation sequence. Um, I would be surprised if she gets the best actress. Um, you know, there's only five that get nominated. This is not Oscar bait. Um, I would be, I would be more, uh, I wouldn't think this is best picture material. Um, I, I expect a quiet place though might end up sneaking onto the best picture list. Um, 
and so maybe she gets the nod uh, because of the the collective work. Um, but I don't know. I, I I would be surprised if it gets any of the big categories. I would I would expect to see it in some of the smaller categories, maybe even editing, um, because of some of the sequences in the film. But okay, I'm pretty much on board. I've heard a lot of clamor for the best actress, and really, um, I've seen a lot of people almost demanding it and i don't know if that's just because of the fervor of loving the film but she was no undeniably very very good there's no doubt about that she's fabulous uh off the top of my head i can think of a few who i who i would put as a cert in my head and of course tony clit has to win that's just for mm-hmm. me because i thought she was revelationary and hereditary but yeah um i think i think she's got a chance an outside chance of being nominated or at least you know given the nod uh unless she's not going to win it but I think she's got an outside chance of getting a nod. But yeah, those technical technical awards, this yeah. film's going to do well in. And I think A Star is Born may have some um, musical competition after this. But um, So before we move on, it is also now acceptable to fancy Mary Poppins <laughs> having seen this film. So um, uh. we both liked Mary Poppins Returns as we thought we probably would and hoped we were going to. So what a brilliant way to start off the the show uh what's next in uh the december episode this is probably one of the the less least popular movies we've talked about i think on this show um mortal engines is our next film that we saw in december uh directed by christian rivers not peter jackson which has been a big misnomer um peter jackson's name is attached to this i think he's just a producer um but he's got that whole like presents thing on the credits so people are like oh peter jackson yeah, and uh, a little misleading on that. But Christian Rivers has worked with Jackson on other films, so there is a connection. He was just an art director or something. Yeah. Um, uh, it stars Hera Hilmer, Hilmar, Robert Sheehan, uh, Hugo Weaving. Um, that's uh, the big names in this film. Um, it has, oh man, talk about a bomb. Worldwide, only $65 million, over a $100 million budget. Has a 27 Rotten Tomato score. Uh, but a 44 meta score, which is uh, kind of basically saying it's middle of the the pack, and that's how I felt about it. I didn't feel like it was bad. It's just bland. It, there's nothing super memorable memorable about it. It feels like if you've read any young adult or seen any young adult you know adaptation films that are about dystopian societies, which has basically been everything for the last 15 years. Um, you know, we're talking Hunger Games. We're talking uh, Divergent. Um, there's some lesser ones. I mean, even to a, a extent, I mean, Harry Potter deals with that potential of, of that dystopian society. Um, it's the love triangle type nonsense and it's the revenge story. It's trying to be, uh, Mad Max. And then it's, it's, uh, it's got this really cool premise. I think the world of the film that, uh, the cities have become mobile is a really cool idea, but I don't think it's explored very much. It's more or less like, Hey, this is a thing. And then it's forgotten. Um, and that's what, like when you watch like Mad Max Fury road, we're told about these three different cities, you know, the one that has the water, the one that has the guns and you get, even though we don't see those cities, you get a really strong vibe of what they are and how, what they stand for and what the people are like, because we see the people, we see their interactions. Um, this is like, Hey, this is the thing. But we're not going to really spend any time with it, so forget all about it. And then, um, you you know, we find out that there's a group of people who are against the roving cities, and they are living more traditional lives. There's not really an explanation as to why. Like, what is the problem with it? What is the 
why wouldn't everyone just still be normal city? Like, there's no real explanation as to why the cities have gone mobile. That makes sense. Again, because there's other people who aren't. Um, the the characters are... Uh, I found um, Robert Sheehan to be really engaging and charismatic. And I like Hugo Weaving in almost everything. Um, he, he has a really compelling element about him that he just makes me want to to be intrigued by his character. I felt like by the end of the film, his character was very bland and generic, but not his performance. I thought he did the best he could with uh, kind of vanilla source material. Um, the love story that this movie forces on us felt, well, forced and super uh, unbelievable. Like, it just is like, well, why did she change so fast? There's no explanation as to why our lead character, played by Hera, um, whose name is Hester Shaw, uh, she she just does like a whole 180 on her attitude about things and there is no explanation for it um, at least not one that I felt was compelling or convincible um, or convincing I guess is better uh, <laughs> nonetheless um, I didn't hate this movie I, I found it um, it moved fast enough for me that I never felt bored um, I did roll my eyes a few times at some of the dialogue and some of the, the choices and there is a character in this movie whose name I think is Shrike, but oh. the way she says it sounds like she says Shrek, and that had me <laughs> laughing every single time. Um, I'm just like, is she saying Shrek? Did they put a Shrek character in this movie? <laughs> um, and uh, that's played by Stephen Lang, uh, who I'm not a huge fan of. Um, he's connected to movies that I, people love, but I tend to hate, um, like Avatar and uh, Don't Breathe, both movies that are relatively loved by many people that i think are severely overrated um not necessarily to his fault mind you but um yeah that whole character felt like it, it was it was so much of this movie is a macguffin right like it's like macguffin after macguffin after macguffin yeah. oh, uh, yeah. what can make the plot go next and um yeah uh ultimately just another you know attempt at grabbing a young audience full of uh cynics and it it's that's what it feels like. It feels like just another attempt of pulling a younger audience in. Um, I would say, though, the CG looks strong. Like, I didn't, considering so much of the film is CG, I, I didn't feel like it was uh, bad. I thought it looked pretty solid. Um, however, the uh, the characters in this movie, because I, I forgot to even mention, there's, like, two other characters that we are supposed to, like, feel invested with, and, like, they're gone for half the movie. Um, Shaw, uh... No, I'm sorry, um, Hugo Weaving's character's daughter, Catherine Valentine, and uh, Bevis Pod, which, horrible name, um, we're supposed to, like, care about them, but they're just, like, gone for large chunks of the film, and then they just come back, and we're supposed to, like, oh, yeah, I forgot about these guys. Uh, that I feel like, the considering how long this movie is, they, they get a lot of uh, short shrift, and that's problematic. Um, they either should have cut them out or figured out a way to balance the uh, the storytelling a little more, but... And I know you didn't like this movie, right, Matt? <laughs> I, I, I didn't like the trailer when it came out because I, I, again, this is on my uh, intrigue to see list of 2018. It had Peter Jackson attached to it, um, very much so. They're really pushing Peter Jackson, and I like Peter Jackson's in the kind of George Lucas vein of his. His visionary way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, and also in the same way that he has one good trilogy and one not very good trilogy. Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Star Wars, prequels. But I didn't mind the prequels. But I was intrigued by this. But 
the trailer, I really, really, really didn't like the trailer for this film, and it really worried me. But when it came out, I was there the first night it came out for my sins. And what I will say is, it you can tell Peter Jackson was on board, and that Christian Rivers has worked with him because it's big in scale. It's got those expansive wide shots, the big old CGI visuals, and it's got the wingnut films visual style and the palette. But it. It's not a, for me. It wasn't a good. It's a terrible movie. I thought for me, <laughs> it there was spectacle in the style, but it, what's that if you haven't got a compelling story or compelling yeah. characters? I uh, the character of Hester Shaw, Harry Hilmer. I thought she was pretty unlikable for quite a lot of the film. I and hmm. I, I get that she is the kind of the rebel and that she'd she'd had a hard life. You know, she had to live with a resurrected cyber zombie robot. <sighs> but it, I didn't honestly wasn't invested by her story for the majority of it. I didn't want to follow her. You mentioned Robert Sheehan. He was very. I thought he was good. He had a hapless task because his character is terrible. He isn't. He's very. He's as good as he can be. But the characters. Ter- I put in my review at one point during a massive battle. This isn't a spoiler. He stops and goes up to a a, a, a shelf carry a, a hand with all these leather jackets. And, he yeah. has, and he's deciding which one to wear. And then they're all shouting, you know, Tom, as his character, Tom, where are you? And he emerges around the corner in slow motion, swaggering in this leather jacket. And I yeah. just thought, what the hell is going on? Yeah, you know, that this was is, this is, really bad. <laughs> it just made me just want to just put the popcorn over my head and fall asleep. But, um, yeah, Stephen Lang, I mean, I don't mind some of the films. Avatar, no. Don't breathe, I liked, apart from the turkey-based a bit where it all went oh, mad. But oh, yeah. The character of Shrike could have been brilliant, but he was a punk by the end of it. I didn't like it. Hugo Weaving was Hugo Weaving. I like I like pretty much most things, and mm-hmm. he did what he could. But, you know, for everything that the Mortal Engines could have been, it, I just didn't find it exciting. The action scenes are so badly edited that I couldn't see what was going on. Yeah. For a lot of the time. And when you've got a character like Anna Fang, who's played by uh, Jihai Kim, who's just kind of like the, uh, this badass rogue kind of mercenary who's meant to be this, you know, hired killer, she's fighting, but I can't see what she's doing. It's just ridiculous. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's daughter shows up, and I'm not really sure why, but she's in it. If you've seen Star Wars, then you can. This, this film just apes all of the major moments in that first film. Um, and I've seen a lot of people saying that as well, but. What that? What did I like? Some of the imagery was nice. The steampunk image looked quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about it, I think. But then he got, he got, you know, so he got the idea of London, you know, uh, conquering the yeah. world again, and there's the capitalism. East. The East, exactly. There's capitalism all throughout the film. That message, and but then this really bad love plot takes over, and yeah, the love plot was so yeah. not necessary. Um... And that's something that when we get to our one of the other films for this month, I thought they did really well with the love plot um, and how they kind of subvert the expectations of the love story. Um, but for this movie, it's like, wow, could you have been more cliche? Because none of it ever makes sense. It's literally just like, hey, here's a boy. Here's a girl. Yeah, why not? Sure, they'll fall in love. Like, especially because... I don't like you. Now I do. Yeah, they hint that Tom is going to be with Catherine, like, right away. Like... Like, he's clearly got an interest in her, and then he's uh, below her station, and then they are separated for the rest of the film. Um, I don't know anything about this book series. Is this a... Is there multiple books, or is this Yeah, the there's only multiple book? books, and the film 
as every film of this type, or to be honest, any almost most films nowadays, it is gunning for that franchise. I yeah. think the studio obviously thought we can make bank on this film, and then we can go on to make the second film and a third film, and we'll and we'll gain an audience. But as we you mentioned with the sixty-five or sixty-six million dollar return worldwide. This film hasn't gained anybody's attention. Whether that was because of the poor marketing, maybe that's because people have seen the film and told everybody else not to see it. I don't know, but I, I was intrigued to see the film from the premise. It had a great premise. That's one thing I will say about the film. But it's just style was plumped for over execution, and they just went. They for me, they tried to be too, you know, in capital letters, epic, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work. The like I said, the love plot didn't work. The messages were weren't great. The action was limp. The ending was awful. I and I, I struggled to find the words. I think I know a lot of people find it easy to trash in the film and can ro- roll off the tongue, but I struggle sometimes to find the words with a film which really should have been quite good. And for me, anyway, not that I'd ever tell anyone not to see a film. Please, if you haven't seen it, go and see it because goddamn it, it needs the money. But it, <laughs> I just wish it had been something else, and it makes me worried for Peter Jackson because I know he was only producing this but I won't let anybody tell me that he didn't have a firm grip on this because I think he was on. I think he had a quite a large production role and he's doing Damn Busters potentially which is a beloved British film and please don't Peter if it's anything to do like with your last few films please don't because well, I'm worried a, now about your capabilities he has as a, a director documentary out right now though the um they were only boys or they were merely that, boys that was that was emotionally damaging how good it was but it's a documentary based you know using using real actual footage and interviews it wasn't he hadn't created a film based off of true, that which is what true. worries me and i love peter jackson what he did lord of the rings would always have a special place for me and i also have some good feeling towards the hobbit but again what could have been in guillermo del toro's hands or somebody else's i'm mm. worried when i see peter jackson's name attached to something now but I will still go and see whatever he does next, but I feel like I just you're, wanted this to be so much better. We're we're not mentioning Frighteners, and that's just not fair. Because uh, Frighteners, going back, yeah, going back to his beginnings, he was yeah, he's clearly very talented. And he's visionary, but recently, you're right. King you're Kong right. was okay; it's just too long. I would say the same thing about we mentioned Welcome to Marwin already. I think briefly, but uh, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis, like I love Back to the Future. I love Roger Rabbit. Um, and then obviously there's a lot of people who love Forrest Gump and Castaway, but man, his last couple of movies, uh, The Walk, um, Welcome to Marwin, Allied, was it Allied that he did a couple yeah, years ago? I didn't with... mind Allied and The Walk, I didn't mind them. No, but, yeah. I, I didn't mind The Walk, I thought Allied was kind of boring, and there was a, a couple of sequences I thought were just, like, way too melodramatic, um, yeah. but, like, collectively, I mean, because then you have, like, Beowulf that we don't want to forget <laughs> about, um, I like Polar Express. That's up and down with some people, and I also uh, I I didn't mind Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol that he he did with uh, Gary Oldman as as Bob so, Cratchit. I liked What Lies Beneath with Harrison Ford. I haven't seen that since I it came out. Like I saw that in the theater, and I, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, I feel like I, I didn't love it, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, so maybe it's it's just one. Maybe there's an expectation that just because a filmmaker does something great that everything they'll do is great. And that's probably not fair. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, true. And I'm not saying that to you. I think that's, I think the same way. I mean, 
Um, and then we have like the the filmmakers like Tarantino, where they do, you know, when you look through his catalog, there's such a most fans of Tarantino like all of his movies, even if you don't like all of them the same. You mm-hmm. probably don't have like I hate this one. Um, Wes Anderson, I think, is very similar. And you know, when you look at those more, uh, maybe even selective directors like that, where they they don't do as many movies. Um, but that's the thing with Jackson is he does kind of straddle that line. Is he doesn't do a lot of movies. Well, then I, I, we haven't mentioned King Kong um, that he did as well, and I I couldn't get into that movie. I have not sat through the entire thing. Um, it's too long, in my opinion, uh, for his take on it. But yeah, I don't know. Um, it could be. Maybe he just needs to take a back seat for a little bit, reevaluate his choices. Yeah, and again, we Christian Rivers did direct that, so we've got to kind of not lose sight of that Christian True. Rivers put the it's his name against it and he's obviously the director so obviously major credit for getting the film done and it looks great and it just wasn't for me and i get impassioned because people like lucas and jackson can clearly it's they've clearly got so many marvelous ideas or executions in their head it's just getting yeah it out there and was maybe christian rivers was the right choice maybe he wasn't i don't know but you know for me the movie was a massive disappointment which is uh and to be a sh- a huge shame. To be fair, too, neither of us are familiar with the source material here. The source yeah, material yeah, could be bad. Like maybe we wouldn't like the books either. <laughs> yeah. um, I've heard it's quite good, but then I heard the Darkest Minds was quite good as well. The source material. And but you, and you heard from fans of the source material that the movie's not bad, right? Like that you were too harsh oh, on yes. it or whatever. Oh, so, I got emailed by lots of. They sounded quite young, but <laughs> they didn't like me for that month. So, I mean, so you got to wonder, like, if the if they're liking them, if the fans of the book like the movie, because that's like when you look at Percy Jackson, the fans of the book yes. don't like that movie because the movie just does not give the book any justice at all. Like it is horribly off compared to what the book does. And um, the second one's even worse, like how much how much farther they stray from the source material. So. You know, if the fans of the book are liking the movie, then maybe we just wouldn't like the story at all. Maybe it just feels like a generic amalgamation of the things that we know are better, you know? Um, and then again, may- maybe the book would be good. Uh, I'm not tempted to read it from the movie, um, <laughs> yeah. especially not for the whole franchise of it. But like, cause I, when I saw Hunger Games, I did. I went and read the books and I was like, wow, the second and third books suck like really bad. <laughs> and the movies are worse, um, in my opinion. Uh and so, yeah, this one did not do anything for me. And I had the opposite effect. I read The uh, the Girl with All the Gifts. And then I was like, oh, I have to watch the movie now. And I regretted not watching the movie first because the book is so, so, so much better um, than the movie. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's that, it's always a risk when you, when you try to compare the two things. Um, sometimes they pull it off. Like Harry Potter, I think, does a great job of... of cutting out things that well i enjoy in the book it doesn't ruin the story and it doesn't break apart the the universe um like the percy jackson failure and then i think the hunger games books do a solid job of of or i'm sorry the movies do a solid job of representing what the books did i just think the books get bad as they go on i think the the premise of the first one was enough and the the rest of them do not deliver on that story um in a way that is meaningful so who knows? Mortal Engines did not work uh, well for either of us, although I was much kinder to it, I think, than Matt. Um, 
maybe I'm just I, I've read a lot of young adult because I am a middle school high school teacher um, going way back now 13 years into the profession so um, maybe I'm just like yeah this is what they like I get it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, well the next film on the list uh, certainly hasn't had any problem taking any money and it's certainly making a lot of cookie and that is the DC's Aquaman directed by James Wan himself starring big old Jason Momoa Amber Heard Willem Dafoe Patrick Wilson and Nicole Kidman to Meryl Morrison amongst others currently sitting on $887,620,880 worldwide against a kind of the budget set between $160 to $200 million. Um, so, yeah, DC is popping champagne corks all day. It's, it's I believe it's the most popular or the most profitable DC movie of all time, if not the first, it's certainly one of them, in terms of the DCEU anyway. Yeah. Um, RT, Rotten Tomatoes, 64%. Metascore, 55%. So... Um, in terms of how well it's loved, I think it's fair to say that I had a I had a good time with Aquaman. I was worried beforehand that it may have uh, Venom syndrome, which was it was a hell of a lot of fun, whilst also not being a particularly good movie. And it kind of falls in there for me because I think this is a better movie than Venom. Yeah. Um, but I also had a lot of fun with it. But it's certainly not a great movie it's not i don't think it's one of the top 10 comic book movie superhero movies of all, all time Mm-mm. but i mean arthur curry aquaman has never been the coolest superhero until now but okay and that's jason momoa he makes the uh, the uh character cool he just brings a different angle to it jason momoa is just awesome as aquaman he just <laughs> he can just tell he's enjoying himself doing it but i thought this was fun it's entertaining. It's ridiculously colourful. Some of the underwater scenes are uh, superb. Dolph Lundgren's good for having good fun. Patrick Wilson, again, is having fun with Willem Dafoe. Though it's, it all feels a bit Flash Gordon or He-Man to me sometimes, but mm. it was okay. I preferred the first half, that uh, when we're kind of looking more into Arthur Curry and his life relationship. And as we get further into the film, it kind of becomes more obvious of your uh, staple superhero film. A lot of people have been te- saying that the CGI in this was mind-blowing. I was disappointed, actually, with the CGI. Agreed. Some of it was very good, but for a big-budget film, and this is well, this is, this is a big-budget film, some of the underwater scenes looked awful, and I've got to say that, and I'm sure people are shouting at their podcast now and saying I'm wrong, but some of them looked horrendous, and, I mean, by the sounds of it, you, you agreed with that. Well, partially. Um, I had bigger issues with Black Panther and oh, Thor sure. Ragnarok. Um, with the big epic like battles in both of those movies, I thought the CG looked so bad. Um, where this, I didn't see. I didn't have that feeling. I thought like the big epic battle, especially the last battle, I thought it looked pretty solid, and I was surprised by that. I thought the style of the like the color choice and like the world looked so fake and more. And yes. I, I, I don't fault Juan for this, but the whole underwater element, whenever they're underwater, looks cheesy to me. Like, yes. it, the hair blowing and the... And I know yes, that exactly. It, yeah, like, I get that it has to, but it still looks stupid. Like, it doesn't... Like, like I'm not saying it was the wrong choice. It just looks bad. And I don't know if anyone could do better. Like, it might just be that that's always going to look silly. I know that uh, the Avatar sequels that are supposedly coming out mm-hmm. eventually, one of them is supposed to be primarily underwater. So I'm curious to see how James Cameron handles it, because while I often dislike his movies, 
you can't argue against his visual effects. Um, the dude's pioneered much of what's being used today, going back to Abyss. So, you know, I, I, I think a lot of those scenes were super silly. I am very lukewarm on this movie. I thought uh, it's way too long. Two and a half hours for Aquaman is outrageous. Take 20 minutes off and to less talk yeah yeah like the opening sequence is cool like nicole kidman's fight scene as cg as it is um looked cool i like the camera work it's very reminiscent of like the kingsman like floating moving camera um but yes at the same time i hate all of the backstory of aquaman this is a character who's already been established to exist in the universe we don't need an origin story and i don't need to know why he was born like it and the scenes of him as a kid like at the aquarium oh my god like harry potter much like it's him with nagini you know like that's it (laughs) it's it's so annoying that and again that's where the runtime you cut all that out you're down to under two hours and you have a tight action movie i'm in um that said there are uh, i have some flaws with some of the other stuff a lot of the dialogue is really bad um i hate that every one of the the superhero characters black manta um ocean master and aquaman name themselves those things at some point in the movie um call me ocean master i'm like are you freaking serious died in that moment where and patrick wilson has to say that i like uh, sorry sorry to interject there but no i know the film isn't it, one of the good things about the film is it doesn't take itself overly seriously. True. And you and when you say a line, when he, he's looking the guy dead in the eyes, call me Ocean Master. And I thought, good God, get out of the water, go back to the country or whatever, please. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's a comic book movie. That is a comic book line, and that's something that in the comic book would have worked. But if you look at a lot of other comic book films, they have avoided doing that in many of them. Some, like, if you look especially the DC films, the DC films have been so gritty and grounded, which has been a complaint. And I agree with those complaints. Um, I like wonder woman a whole lot. I don't think she ever says, call me wonder woman. And I don't think so. Aquaman, he's called Aquaman by the news first. So at least when that started, it was like, okay, that's what the news has dubbed him. I buy that. But then later in the film, he says it. And I'm like, ah, really also. And then black Manta, there's a few things with that whole arc that drove me nuts. Um, I felt like the look of the character was fine. I thought it looked like the comics. And I thought, from what I know of the character, and I am Aquaman um, pretty ignorant with the exception. I did read like the first 15 issues of the new 52 um, Aquaman, about this. which is the version of the character that I believe Jeff Johns brought into the film. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff Johns had taken over the book and he made him more of like a badass in that. Uh, there's a scene in um, the first issue, I think, he orders fish and chips uh, from a restaurant, and the, the the waiter like gives him a look, and he's like, what? He's like, aren't you friends with fish? And he's like, I'm hmm. not friends with fish. I communicate with them telepathically. Like, they basically called out all of the, the criticisms that had been used to make fun of Aquaman. They put them there, and like he kind of countered them to, to clear the air. And I feel like the movie tries to do that, too. But it's... it's... And again... I didn't dislike this movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Like, Venom, I enjoyed Venom, but it's a bad movie. Aquaman is... There's good here. It is easily the second best of the DC films. I still think Wonder Woman is better overall. I think this movie ends better than Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman's third act is horrible. um, Especially the villain. 
at least Ocean Master, as lame as the name is, and even his mask that looks pretty stupid, is comic book accurate, mind you. Um, I, I still thought, like, the the ending was better. There's some cheesy parts, um, for sure. And uh, Momoa is fun. I think he's got not quite as fun as Tom Hardy was as Venom. Like, Tom Hardy's having a blast in Venom. Like, you can just tell he's having a great time being the character. Momoa is too, but there's some awkward moments where it feels like he doesn't know who the character is. Like when they're escaping um, Atlantis in the ship and he's like, uh, they're on our six or whatever. Like it, that felt like a different character all of a sudden. Like it was like, why is he so serious now? He's been so ambivalent to like danger the whole time. And all of a sudden, and I'm going into justice league for that too. He was just caution to the wind never seemed to have a care in the world until that moment in this movie and then it becomes like the stakes are raised but it, it's not clear why you know all of a sudden he's doubting himself he's been like a cocky arrogant guy since we met him um and that you know i don't know maybe i'm being too harsh on this film at this point um definitely in my opinion not one of the best comic book movies uh not at all for the year even though Looking, uh, Box Office Mojo doesn't have the worldwide rankings. It just has the domestic gross for the year. But it's sitting at number seven for the year domestic for us. Um, and it's behind like, Black Panther's number one, Infinity War is number two, Incredibles three, Jurassic World four, Deadpool two, five. Surprisingly, The Grinch is six. Um, <laughs> wow. I did not know that. I, I've been one of the advocates for that movie, so haha. But... Um, <laughs> But Aquaman's sitting at seven ahead of Mission Impossible Fallout, which is by far a better action movie. Um, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, better superhero movie. I loved Ant-Man and the Wasp. I thought that movie was so much fun. Um, but Aquaman, there's shades of good stuff there. Um, there's references. Like, there's an Indiana Jones vibe at one sequence with, like, the desert and all that. And yeah. Um, But, yeah, I, I was underwhelmed. Um, and, again, I was two and a half hours like you gotta chill man like i get why infinity war was two and a half hours i do not understand why aquaman is two and a half hours there's no reason for it to be like that um it's not that epic and it's not necessary but yeah that's you know my take on it um still i i it's enjoyable for sure like again i'm sounding probably like i hated it i didn't i just i had a lot of issues with it because i want dc to be better I am very excited for Shazam. Um, I have a lot of hope for Shazam. The more trailer I see, the more I'm hopeful. Um, I also see how that movie could completely fall apart, but it feels like the tone is right in the trailer. And if I love the character Shazam um, and Billy Baston, so I'm, I'm hopeful for that one. But uh, yeah, I'm also curious to see what is the DC universe anymore, right? Like, yeah, where are we going with this? Yeah, because, like, Cavill and, and Affleck, Affleck are out. Like, they're 100% done. So, I guess if Shazam hits, which I think it's going to do well, it's a different type of comic book movie, and I think it's, judging by what I've seen and what Zachary Levi is bringing to the character and some of the information that's come out today about potentially the villains and the antagonists, I, I think it could be a really good film. I hope it is anyway. Me too. But, We've got Wonder Woman 1984 coming out in 2020, which is only yeah. next year now. Um, Shazam, I think, is going to do well. Aquaman's done well. Aquaman has done well. This is yeah. a smash hit. So suddenly the DCEU has got a couple of smash hits on its hand. Justice League was a huge disappointment box office-wise. And for me, 
in terms of the film itself was a massive disappointment. Yeah. But you have Wonder Woman and Aquaman, huge hits. What happens if Shazam makes six, seven hundred million? Because it could do, probably would do. It Who could. knows if it's good? It, so what it's, happens then? It, if Deadpool has shown like that, uh, audiences respond well to comedic um, superhero movies. Like, granted, Deadpool's are comedic, and Shazam will not be yeah. that. But it's definitely got a comic vibe to it, like a true comedic value. And that's what I feel like people are missing with Ant Man and the Wasp is like Paul Rudd brings the humor, and Michael Pena brings it extra like yeah. you're you get this amazing comedic like one two punch of those two guys and and then you get heart in those in the ant-man movies that i feel like is overlooked um like he's he's a bad guy but he's not you know he does stupid things but he's he's at, at his heart he is a true a hero fast. and i i honestly the ant-man films have become like two of my favorites in the marvel cinematic which i know is not a popular opinion but i i just think they're so well i am a paul rudd Fan. like he just he uh, everything he does i tend to enjoy somewhat um and i feel like those movies didn't get the love they deserve especially uh ant-man and the wasp i feel like it was too close to infinity war tonally such a different movie i think some people just skipped out on it because of that um but you know, like if you want a fun movie like those are there and aquaman that seems to be what people are loving about this is that it is fun it's upbeat it's not like yes there are stakes but it's not like I don't know. It never felt like like look at Suicide Squad. Like the stakes of that movie are so ridiculously bad. It's like you have this group of like non superpowered heroes that you you're telling me exist so that you can they're expendable, right? But then you send them in with soldiers. So it's like, wait, are they expendable or not? Because you wouldn't send soldiers if you're just looking to throw a team of you know expendable figures at at this problem. And then they made it like this world-ending cataclysmic event when we know the justice league exists in that universe where the hell are they world ending yeah like so um they dc has for a while had this their biggest flaw is being that it's every every villain is like trying to eat the world and (laughs) ant-man or marvel in general with the exception of like the avengers films most of the villains are very small it's it's this one instance it's this one moment it's not the whole world that's trying to be taken over um look at like uh, captain america um winter soldier is a personal story about steve rogers it's really not about the world it's about him and bucky and that's it and like and ant-man and the wasp um aquaman still went big right but ultimately it isn't about the world it's about the underwater world that there is a bigger goal afoot that involves the world, but the world's unaware of it for the most part. And I think that's one of the reasons why it works in the end, because it stays smaller in scale and scope than some of the other DC films have done. Yeah, I mean, in terms of scope, that end battle is massive. True. It's huge end battle. And James Wan managed to throw in Steppenwolf off the sea, uh, one of the um, Deus Ex Machinas of that end battle. But... Yeah, like you said, the actual going back to that CGI, it looked a lot more polished here than it did in Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, especially Black Panther. Because if you pause that end battle at certain moments, mm-hmm. the two Black Panther and um, Killmonger, they just look like cartoon characters, like yes. really badly rendered PS2 characters. <laughs> and whereas at least in Aquaman, whilst things do stand out, when it and I'm going to say again, some of it just doesn't look good. So it, at least it fits within the context of what they're trying to do it doesn't stand out because it looks like it's from 
2004, it, something just doesn't look right about it. But now, I don't know. There's also there's other things in it which have become the kind of fashion now. Is a shot of Jason Momoa coming through the mist of battle in the, in the beginning with this sort of hard rock music leading him on. Uh, so and to kind of introduce his character, they use I don't always like it when we get ironic songs playing over the top oh. of things. And there's a weird shot of uh, Momoa and Amber Heard emerging from the sea in slow motion, kind of like uh, James Bond esque for no reason other than just to make them both look beautiful, basically. Yeah. yeah. And this is, and remind us that these are cause these two are cool. I don't, actually on Amber Heard, other than her wig. I didn't mind her. I thought she, her, their chemistry was okay. Surprisingly, yeah. I thought they were quite good together. I like Amber Heard. I still felt uh, the love element felt really, like, shoved in, though. Like, yes, that is true. But, yeah. Had they um, just been good friends, I think that could have worked probably better. Well, and fans of the comics know that they do end up getting married, I think, in the comics or something like that. Like, they are king and queen at some point. But it didn't have to happen in this movie. Like, they just met. They have a, a common goal. Like, there isn't a need to cram a love story in. Like, we could see that they had respect for each other, and that even the physical attraction is fine, but, like, the, it when it happens, it's like, well, there's stuff going on, guys. Should you be kissing yeah. right now? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. they're the scenes which wind me up, or <clears throat> when people stop to talk in the middle of a massive battle, what's going on around them, and you think, you could get an arrow to the neck, or, like, a sword in your back, and you're just sitting there having a chat with your with your friend, yeah. or having a, having a kiss with your sudden girlfriend who for most of the film has been trying to push you away but i thought their chemistry i liked that i was worried about how well they play i didn't mind i thought they were quite good they looked good together and i agree that it could have been shorter a lot of the origin story could have been truncated into a flat into like a mournful flashback but well, um okay so there are one two three four five six six actors used to make those cutscenes because they have six different people playing arthur throughout the ages that he changes so like just think of that for a minute like that's a lot of i mean they probably didn't get paid top dollar because there's some of them are really young but yeah you still had to pay them and you had to film those sequences so everyone involved unnecessary like and such as like we do not need to see him training as a kid mention it briefly that he trained me done move on like i don't need to see him training we've already seen that he's skilled you know what I mean? Like, we, we start the movie with him lifting a submarine out of the ocean. <laughs> like, we get that he's got talent. And again, this isn't the first time we've seen Aquaman. He was in Justice League, and we've already seen him kick butt. We don't need training montages. Um, not to mention the Mr. Miyagi-esque, like, uh, crane kick that he's taught by Willem Dafoe. By Willem yeah. Spinning your trident around so fast that you have a sand force field. Boring. Yeah, really boring. Yeah, again, Deus Ex Machina. Uh, Willem the Foe. I love. I I love Willem the Foe. Me too. Always. I, I like that he was in this film because because yeah. I, I like that he could flip between the most the smallest of indie art house flicks like Antichrist or going on to things like the Florida Project and oh, then yeah. do something like this. But he never really for me it never felt comfortable with him being in the film. Because he's called, he just looks so he's willing to he just looks like willing to vote so sinister. Mm. He just something didn't sit right, and I, I, I he could tell he was having fun in the role. There's nothing wrong with him being in the film, but at times I did think I'm just watching Willem the foe here. True, true. Yeah, it's hard to he's such a iconic actor at this point, 
it's hard to ever separate him from that. Although in Florida Project, I feel like he's Bobby. I don't think of him as Willem Dafoe. I think of him as... Yeah, that, that's exactly. That's a great um, point. In that film, he kind of becomes that character. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it is he... Uh, you're thinking Green Goblin. Um, a side note. <laughs> this episode, we, we've talked about Mary Poppins Returns. And it, of the movies we're talking about, Julie Andrews is in one of them. But not Mary oh. Poppins Returns. Oh. Did you realize she's in Aquaman? She's the voice oh, yes. of Carathon, the giant. I, I, only, I only realized when I saw the cast list after the film on IMDb. Mm-hmm. So she was apparently too busy doing Aquaman to show up in Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. <laughs> see, she's got too, she's got too big for that Poppins lark now. Yeah. So, um, just before we move on, I've got to say Tamura Morrison, uh, who the fab, fab, fabulous New Zealand actor, he's Boba Fett's dad, and yes. he's Aquaman's dad. Yep. How cool is that? Django uh, Fett shows up. Right, Django Fett turns up, and he's also Aquaman's dad. So, yeah, he's got a lot going on for for him. But he's also in Once Were Warriors, which I watched recently. And it's bloody brilliant. So, if you haven't seen Once Were Warriors, check it out. I also believe uh, uh, he is Moana's dad. Um, yes. So, and he was also in that horrible Green Lantern film from eight years ago. Really? Yes, he was. I can't remember who he was, but he was in he was in Green Lantern huh. and. Uh, you don't see him. I'm not sure that's one he really talks about on on his resume, but he was uh, Abin Sir, I believe. Oh, okay, wow, that's uh, the trainer. Um, I'm a yeah. Green Lantern junkie, of uh, comic book more so, obviously, than the horrible movie. But yeah, I, I was a big. I want a Guy Gardner Green Lantern movie. Like Ooh. he's probably the least loved of the lanterns, but I love him. He's he's a Boston Irish, like ready to fight all the time. Um, I would love that take on on the character. Let's get away from Kyle Rayner, the perfect, you know, Green Lantern, or Hal Jordan, the imperfect one, and the one most people know from the cartoons is John Stewart. Which I would be fine with a John Stewart Green Lantern. However, Guy Gardner Green Lantern would be so different, and it would honestly fit better with the gritty DC universe that they were building. Although now they've seemed to have uh, gone away from. Um, but he would have fit very well, and him and Batman have always had a very tumultuous relationship, and I love that too because. Um, Batman kicks his butt every single time. So, <laughs> and that's John's man is Batman. So mm-hmm. on that DC EU, where on earth they go from here with Shazam is a massive hit. And Aquaman, I think I preferred it more than John did, but we're both in agreement that it may not be the best film, but we at least we had a good time with it. But yeah. So moving on to a film which uh, we may share the same opinion on. Uh, what's next or last in our big four? Uh, the last one for our big four is Bumblebee. The uh, newest entry and kind of a retcon entry into the Transformer universe. Um, the first Transformer film not directed by Michael Bay, but directed by Travis Knight, who you are uh, most likely unfamiliar with, um, unless you're a film buff, because he has uh, not done a live-action movie before. He has only done uh, Leica films, and his most recent was Kubo and the Two Strings, which I loved so, so much. So I was very excited going in solely because of Travis Knight uh, involved, and because of the lead female actress, Haley Steinfeld, who um, so far for me has done no wrong um, that I can think of. Uh, Pitch Perfect 3, I guess. But from some of her songs. I don't listen to her music, so that part, <laughs> easy. Um, but alongside Haley in the film, you have George uh, Lendenberg Jr., John Cena, Pamela Adlon, Steven Schreider, Jason Drucker. And I don't remember, um, there is a voice listed, uh, I think it's Dylan... The kid from the Maze Runner, I think, is the voice. Dylan Baker? Is that it? I don't know. Uh, he was in Sounds American wrong. Assassin, I think, or 
whatever that movie was last year. Yeah, it wasn't so good. Dylan Um, O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien, that's it. Um, he, he shows up for a very small, he's not in the movie so much, but you hear him for a very small bit. Uh, I won't say why, cause I feel like it's kind of a spoiler. Um, the movie though has not done bad, but not done as well as I thought it would. Uh, it's only done 196 million worldwide, which is sad that I just said only, but, um, against a $135 million budget has a 93 Rotten Tomato score and a 67 meta score, um, by far the highest rated Transformer film um period and i went in still apprehensive um because i haven't liked a whole lot of the transformer films um in fact i have a student in my film class who is a a big big proponent of the transformer films and i constantly make jokes at his expense it's a mutual like fun thing like well we'll you know say jokes and we had character day he wore a bumblebee mask to class that kind of thing um and so when i came back from seeing this movie uh, I had to give him props because I'm like, hey, they finally made a good Transformers movie. Um, and I'll admit, when the first one came out, I did like it. Um, I was really into it. I, I actually didn't grow up with Transformers. The toys were too expensive. So I was a Ninja Turtles kid. Like, I never got into Transformers. Um, and so I had very little af- uh, affiliation with the characters. And so when the first movie came out, I did latch on uh, initially. Over time, I I chilled on it and kind of started seeing major problems with it, and then progressively each one got worse, so much so that I didn't see last night. You're not missing anything. Yeah, and I don't plan to to watch that one, but um, I have... The first movie made me love Bumblebee very, very much. I still have some of the action figures from the first movie that I bought and are unopened hanging on my wall behind me here while I'm recording. Um, And... I, I loved what Knight brought to Bumblebee. I thought it's fun. It's funny. Um, John Cena was one of my big apprehensions because I call him the knockoff Mark Wahlberg. And, oh, cool. um, yeah, and that's saying something, right? But Cena has proven over the last, like, two or three years that he does comedy very well. But he was playing a soldier here, so I was kind of apprehensive. Um, Knight still interjects humor for Cena to do because there is a levity to this film. Um I thought the action sequences were far superior to the Michael Bay versions where Michael Bay's just feel like chaos. You don't know who's who and who's fighting what. Um, the robots all look the same. Here, uh, Knight went with very distinctive colors so that Bumblebee's yellow has always been, but we have a red Decepticon and a blue Decepticon, and so the co- it's very clear who's who. The action scenes are filmed wider, um, so I think we can see more of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really... I enjoyed all of those, but the, the moments that I enjoyed most were the character moments. Something I cannot say about uh, Sam Witwicky at all. Um, I, I really felt for Haley Steinfeld's character. I loved uh, the the friend slash love interest of uh, played by George Ledenberg, uh, Memo. I thought he was super funny, and the awkwardness that he exhibits throughout the film was very, very enjoyable. Um, there is a sequence with... It's basically a silent silent film slapstick of Bumblebee coming into the house because Bumblebee can't speak and it's just him making a huge mess and it's hilarious and there's like this cuteness about him which is impressive like there's almost like a baby-like quality to Bumblebee that I found (laughs) uh, adorable and also endearing um I I was really really pleasantly surprised I initially was gonna call this a must-see movie I did backpedal a little and bring it down to not quite golden it's 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 definitely not perfect but um i found it as a blockbuster 
uh, CG action movie to be uh, a great time, and I had a blast with it. And it just, to me, proves Haley Steinfeld can make you feel every range of emotion. And that's, in a movie like this, can you believe that I'm saying that? Like, there's actually, like, substance and, and caring about this. Um, there's a scene where she's talking about her dad that, man, it just, like, it almost broke me. Uh, I was really impressed with her, uh, which I usually am. So, but, um, yeah, I, I thought Bumblebee was pretty great. Yeah, well, it does the basic, the most basic of fil- things in film. It just focuses on the characters. Well, like, like you've just mentioned so so well, it just focuses on the characters. It's not about the whiz bang and look how big this machine is and how how many battles we can get in and how many all the other rubbish that Michael Bay interjected. It focuses on the characters, their developments, and their relationships, and it can be so effective when it's done well, and it mm-hmm. is done well. Those a- action scenes. I, I saw what was going on. I couldn't believe it. I could see who was who. I could yeah. see what was going on. It was like it was like a revelation. But I mean, the opening. I mean, on your point of childhood, I was a Transformers fan as a kid. I I played with the toys. I remember watching the cartoons and the Transformers movie. I it was I was only one when it came out, so I saw it a couple of years later, obviously. But in those um, late eighties, Transformers was my thing I've, I've said it before many times optimus prime was my hero growing up he was just a good guy he was the, the hero mm-hmm. and that first transformers film in uh the 2000s i en- enjoyed it but i it, and I, I always had that nagging feeling like this isn't transformers this isn't it's a modern version but there's something there's an essence missing that would that makes it transformers to me and then obviously what came after that was just an absolute slideshow of oh it, no ugh. just making me it just makes me feel dirty thinking about some of those films but mm-hmm. back onto this one the relationship between Hayley Steinfeld's character Charlie I believe and Bumblebee is so heartfelt as a, oh, yeah. as a robot and a woman but it provides the heartbeat she's so good in this film she was so good in The Edge of 17 which I think was a magnificent film agreed John Cena John Cena's like the, the macho 80s villain the voice works great. Peter Cullen is in this. He's back. It's not he. Uh, Optimus Prime's in the trailer. Peter Cullen is back to 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 voice him. And you know, there's no filthy, leering, dirty shots of Haley Steinfeld. Nope. Michael Bay's gone. She's treated like a woman, like a character with some importance. Uh, Travis Knight's managed to channel the uh, kind of feel of Steven Spielberg and Amblin. I thought Agreed. in terms of the visuals and oh, the yeah. spirit, which for me was. Again, that nostalgia played a part, but just the visuals. And I know it's become quite vogue to do that with things like It, Stranger Things, to try and and jump on to that kind of visual because it invokes so many memories, evokes so many memories for so many people. But Travis Knight did it so well. This felt like a film that belongs in that era. Um, Yeah, there's a great levity throughout. And younger viewers can watch this film as well. It's a PG over here. Kids can go and see this film. There's nothing in it which is offensive, filthy, dirty, leery, lechy. Kids can watch it. That's the most important thing. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a few other. I mean, there's a few things which obviously I say didn't necessarily work. A couple of editing issues which I thought were a bit strange. A few things which weren't tied up. I liked the ending, the the, the second half and the final act, um, more than I thought I would. But I mean, overall, you get action, humour, heart to that word again, and fun these films have got to be fun but you have to like what you watch you can't you can't feel dirty watching it which is what i did with michael bay 
mm-hmm. the way he objectified women, the, the product placement, robots oh. with testicles, just everything about him. You could just imagine him sitting in the writers' room with all these, with all these grown men with moustaches, just tittering like schoolgirls school about these stupid jokes which weren't funny, and having all these pictures of actresses on a board, thinking, "Oh, let's," and then like looking into all their pictures and just, Ugh! it just felt like a bunch of greasy old men. And I'm glad he's nowhere near it. He could, he may be the producer, but I'm not really sure what if it's just in name only because this blasts anything he's ever done out of the water. Transformers was. It's the yeah. best Transformers movie by far. I had an absolute blast watching this. And spoilers if you haven't heard my top 20, but this is number 13 of the year for me. And I've got no shame in saying that. I had such a good time watching this film. Yeah, and I, I'm my the worst part of this movie, in my opinion, is that it definitely does tie into the Michael Bay Transformer movies. Um, it, it didn't have to. And I was really hoping it wasn't. I was hoping this was going to be like, nope, this is a reboot completely. Like, none of those other movies happen. Uh, I do feel like they kind of give you, like, yes, okay, they are connected loosely um, in two ways. And unfortunately, because those other ones do, like, have that filthy Michael Bay, like, film mm-hmm. on them. Um, when you freaking see the, the only shot you need to see to get what we're talking about is Megan Fox bent over the car in the first movie and how he chooses to shoot that sequence as he basically shows the camera. I think it's Rosie Hunton and Whiteley, whatever. It's the opening scene of the goddamn film was her in her, what do you call it in the States, in her underwear, walking up the stairs from behind. And the film is following her ass as she's walking up the stairs. Mm -hmm. That's the opening shot of the film. For a, what should be a kid-friendly movie. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I get, there's probably people out there calling me an idiot, but whatever she you know attractive women great but i michael the way it was handled was just mm-hmm. icky is the best way to put it. it's creepy and it's icky yeah didn't need to be done you but there's none of that here it's a better film for it and again no disrespect to michael bay because he has made some very good action films a couple of decades ago but mm. i hope he never does any more transformers films again because this has set the bar too high for him to ever reach yeah, and I, I want to give props, too, because um, the family dynamic, which I feel like a lot of people kind of criticize in the uh, the Michael Bay ones because the family, the parents of Sam Witwicky are kind of silly and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, they, try, they kind of bring that back into this one, but I thought it worked really well, and I like Pamela Adlon a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's popped up in a few things over the last couple of years, and she's I thought the, the, the dynamic between the family and um, Charlie is excellent and how it plays out throughout the course of the film i thought was really fun and compelling um and relatable and there's some really fun scenes like when uh she takes bumblebee uh out for a a ride and like (laughs) Haley has to chase after um there's so many little scenes very fast moped yeah very fast moped um uh, and then again uh the the dynamic and i don't want to get into too much because it would be a spoiler but the dynamic with memo and charlie i thought was so subverting of expectations in such a f- believable way uh unlike mortal engines bombed, yeah yeah because it could have been you know forced and, and crammed in instead it's very natural and it's like you know it's charlie doesn't need a guy to be a strong character and that's something that uh, again is refreshing um that you have a lead female character who can carry the movie and not not like because that's the thing um in Mortal Engines, it becomes more of Tom's movie. You know, like, 
it's a, it ends yeah. up being more about him and it's like well wait is it a strong female character or is she just here so we can meet tom and she can make tom become the hero um and that's not what happens in bumblebee like memo steps up he does stuff that you wouldn't believe he would be able to do when we first meet him but that's not in lieu of charlie charlie is doing the major stuff it's her movie um and bumblebee's movie and, and memo never does anything outside of his realm though he doesn't become a superhero and suddenly start taking down decepticons yeah. it's and, all kind of within his wheelhouse yeah and the moment where it does seem like they're like hinting at that it's played for humor and it's freaking yeah. great um and honestly john cena's character i thought was uh was way more complex than you would normally get from that type of character you know like he breaks his own archetypes at moments and um that's unusual for that type of like soldier character and i thought that was uh I wouldn't say refreshing, but I thought it was it was nice. It was a different change of pace than what I was expecting the character to be. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to name any of the Autobots or Decepticons, but it's such a fans of the original 80s cartoon series mm-hmm. are going to get an absolute kick out of who shows up. Yeah. The opening salvo, the opening, the actual introduction of this film with the Transformers just made me think, oh, wow, this took me back. So much. I mean, uh, the fans of the original are going to love the opening to this film and who shows up and that. Again, there's no major spoiler, but who shows up. And it's and it's all done so well. And there's a scene on the Golden Gate Bridge right at the very end, which had, had me punching the air in the cinema because it just made me feel six years old again. It's nothing major happens. It's just a great shot. And I just thought, yes. Um, but I... And all of my praise and... Um, uh, everything else for this film isn't because I liked it when I was a kid. I've got to say that now. I genuinely had a great time watching this film, and this has come from somebody who was so besmirched by the Michael Bay saga that I was not bothered by this film whatsoever. But uh, by the end of this film, I had so much fun because of the writing, directing, and the performances of well, Bumblebee and Haley Steinfeld, who just continues to impress. I think she's fantastic. Agreed. Um... Yeah, I if she if she's attached to a film, I'm definitely going to be more willing to watch it. Yeah, I uh, so it was Bumblebee was the highest rated film uh, critically that we've spoken about out of the big four. If you could put one on now, if you could go, if you could have free access to go and see one now, or pop it in your Blu-ray, which one of those four are you watching now? Um, probably Bumblebee. Although I think I feel like Mary Poppins Returns might have more overall rewatchability. Um, if because I feel like the songs have the potential to become classics, like the old movie, but I think they need to be heard a few more times. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I feel like if I watched Mary Poppins Returns a couple more times, it might be where like I'm going to those songs and um, they're stuck in my head. Uh, where Bumblebee, I think, is definitely a solid watch though, um, and it's I believe it's under a two-hour runtime, which is nice too. You know? Yeah, it's got a good runtime. It's for kids. Um, well, we've had 50 years to marinate with those Mary Poppins songs, so um, Mary Poppins Returns has got... We'll give it some slack for the songs. Watch it a few more times and see, what you th- see if you enjoy them as much. I put Bumblebee on just for the fun of it. It's a good, mm. fun action film with some heart. I felt good at the end of it, and I enjoyed watching a Transformers film for the first time since I did way back in about 1988, so um, that's a big win for me. But So there are, that's our big four. So going forward now... Uh, they're not the only movies we checked out in December because we we do watch probably we spend more time watching films than we do eating, sleeping, and probably conversing with family and friends. But yeah. um, 
So let's move on to the other films that came out in the month of December. And this first film, I'm going to say, is probably it's probably the biggest divide myself and John have ever had with one film, possibly. Uh, I'll let John go r- run first with it. All right, so it's the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, The Favourite. Uh, sorry, it's um, Olivia Coleman. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, who I am such a, such a huge fan of, and uh, Timothy Holt, who I continually am impressed by when he shows up and stuff. Um, I love The Favorite. Uh, I actually got to see it a second time uh, just yesterday. I took my daughter to see it, which was a little uncomfortable um, because there's a couple of scenes in the film that are awkward, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely his most accessible film for Lanthimos. Uh, this is the first film he did not write, um, just directed. But I love lops- The Lobster. I love uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. I am a fan of Dogtooth. I- it's hard to say I love that movie because that movie is really twisted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also very, very much liked Alps, uh, which I think is the lesser scene of his movies. Um, like, I've really dove into his work. And um, I've so far loved everything. I-, I found The Favorite to be so funny. Um, I am a big fan of the dry... Uh, almost, like, don't acknowledge the punchline of a joke, like, Bill Murray-style humor that Rachel Weisz does in this movie. I feel like a lot of what she says is a biting, sarcastic joke that people just keep, like, they just plow over, but I find that hilarious because she says it, and it's just there. And if you get it, you get it, and if you don't, you don't. I'm not saying you didn't. I'm just saying, like, for me, it works. And um, I, I had so much fun. And then Emma Stone, man, her performance, like... Her facial expressions in this film crack me up so much. They convey so much thought and emotion. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm uh, The weird scenes are, are really funny. Like the uh, the dance sequence, like the, the use of the fisheye lenses, all of it just kind of works for me. Um, I'm not always a fan of period pieces. Um, to case in point was Mary Queen of Scots, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Didn't care for. Uh, but I really like this one. And unfortunately, Matt didn't. No, it's not going to be in my bottom 20 of 2019 or anything like that. But I just didn't like the film. It just didn't grab me. Um, the trailers looked like an awful lot of fun. And again, I like uh, Lanthanos' work. I'm a big fan of The Lobster. And if it can be said, I had a great time with Killing of a Sacred yeah, Deer. Yeah, I know. Well, it may not say. be a, a fun film, but I was engaged with it. And I bought into the kind of zaniness of it all. Um, it That worked, but... What I will say about the favourite is what everybody else is saying, because I think you'd have to be hard-pressed to disagree, but the, the performances were excellent. And I said to John off-air, but to, for the first third or half of the film, I wasn't sold by the performances. I, I To me, it, all, it felt a bit pantomime, which I maybe they were going for. Halfway through the film, it changed for me, and I thought, now I get it. Now I get why these three marvellous actors are getting the hype, because uh, especially Olivia Colman, who mm. is... Um, who is a very good English actress? She's been in a lot. She's done a lot of films and TV over here, so she's very well known over here. I'm not. I don't know how well she's known internationally, but she's very well known over here. Um, she she still to show. Rachel Weisz has a sinister feeling throughout, and she has a sort of sardonic, um, cold humour. And I think Emma Stone actually gets to show once again how much versatility and range she has to her mm-hmm. acting ability. Because she's not just a one-trick pony; she is very good. So, the, so the performances—I can't, I can't knock them. But what I did find was, like, like you said, this is his first kind of real mainstream effort, and I found it to be a lot less focused than, let's say, *Killing the Sacred Deer*. That felt a lot more structured and linear to me. I could watch that and enjoy it, and that was going on. 
Maybe it's because he didn't write it. I don't know. But to me, it, it, was, it was too much wackiness. I didn't like the jokes. I thought at times they were dropping in vulgarities. Just, you know, I don't know whether it was to shock or just to make people laugh. I don't know. To me, and again, this is not a uh, criticism of anybody who liked the humour or, or anything, but to me, it felt it got a bit too juvenile for me, and I did. I sat there thinking, hmm. I don't, I'm not enjoying this as well like I should be. And I'm not. I don't find it funny, and I really wanted to, and I don't know. To me, it just felt like a cat fight with no tension. The actual overall story, once he beat through it, and I didn't really care for it. I like how they actually found the story because I mean, it is based on a loosely on a true story. Yeah, yeah. And it again, and so many people are going to say it, and I'm going to feel cliche for saying it, but. You know, in this time, day and age we live in, to have a story about a queen with two fe- with, with uh, two two females vying for her attention, and it's female led, and they've got the power in this, and you've got the lowly um, male politicians who are just you know there flat fopping about. And uh, Nicholas Holt, sorry, is very good in this. He is very good mm-hmm. in his foppish performance, but it's and so it, it fits in today's structure, and I like it because of that, but. I just couldn't get on board, and I, I honestly went into this thinking this could be one of the best films I see all year because I love Yorgos Lanthimos, I love the three actresses in the film, I love the trailers for it, but something just didn't click for me. And I, if I'm, a, I'm an advocate that if you don't enjoy it on the first viewing, I'm not going to go back into a second viewing to try and convince myself. I will rewatch it eventually, I'm sure, but I'm not going to go into it thinking right, I'm going to watch this now. And try to change my own mind. I believe if you don't like it first time, that's your kind of initial experience. So, mm. I really wanted to like this, but I, I'm sorry to the world because I've had so yeah, many yeah. people telling me I'm wrong. But it just didn't. It's a film. It just didn't work for me, unfortunately. And I'm not. Try, and I haven't been rude about the film and said it's crap or anything stupid like that. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. No. And again, um, that's one of the reasons why we click so well with this. Is that I, I'm okay with that, Matt. Like it. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. And again, um, there are movies that I don't know why they didn't work for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, I can't even articulate exactly why I didn't like it. I just, it just didn't. Like, it just didn't sit well just with know, me. Just it doesn't click, yeah. Yeah, and so and that's perfectly fine. Um, and that's, you know, I, I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm more accepting. I used to be much more, like, elitist attitude. Like, you're wrong. And I, I, I can't deny, I've been, uh, so many of the film critics that I follow, like, on Instagram and stuff... They've been posting their their worst of the year, which seems to be way more frequent than best of the year. I feel like more people are like, look at the worst things I saw. And some of the stuff I've seen on the worst list, I'm just like, you're insane. Like, there's no way that's on your worst of the year. Like, I saw Black Panther on someone's worst of the year. Mm. Like, I'm like, okay, hold up. Like, I can see not liking the movie, but the worst of the year. Like, did you only watch five movies? Like, yeah. like how is that the worst? Um but, I've chucked my list out there, and I'd like to think it is fairly good. But what, like on that point, I have noticed, for me, and I'm probably going to catch half fire for this as well, but sometimes I find there to be a herd mentality where if a few people say it's great, suddenly it people jump on board and sure. will almost convince themselves that it's good. And I see that in the way people write things, where I think, well, judging by other things, it doesn't seem like you're, you are right. It seems like you're writing this for the acceptance of it and i wouldn't ever do that and some of the films which i've put in my top and bottom 20 will be flipped in other people's and may not even appear because i I don't want to join the herd mentality and unfortunately in a film like the favorite it could have been quite easy to come out and say 
Actually, I did like it. Actually, you people, a lot of people have said to me I'm wrong, respectfully, and it would be likely to turn around and say, actually, I do like it, but I can't do that because I wasn't massively sold on it. But yeah, on like you've just said, I think, yeesh, yeah, there. Sometimes, think... sometimes I think it's very easy, and there's another film we're going to speak about shortly where I think it's ah. grabbed people, and I'm not sure if it's just because it's to get the likes and the clicks, but. Mm. Well, and there's, of course, the opposite side is the contrarian side, right? Where, like, you don't like something because everybody else does. And that's yep. also not what's happening here. And I, I, I think that's worthy of pointing out, too. Because um, there was something, I can't even think of what it was, where recently it was a very popular movie. And I was like, I, I don't get it. I mean, uh, we're not talking about it this month, but both of us are on that side with Mandy. Um, <laughs> which is a, has an 82 or something on Metacritic. And... Yet, like, I'm like, how? I don't see that. And uh, going old school, like the original Suspiria, a beloved horror film that I think is crap. I don't understand why people love it. Um, you know, and again, it's because of what we look for in a movie. And sometimes it's when we watch the movie or it's, um, you know, our interpretations or our life experiences are going to change that. So, yeah, I think being honest about your opinions is more important than fitting with the crowd or fitting with that conception and that's i have to remind myself when i see other people's like lists that it's okay that we don't agree um especially if they're being truthful you know more so than if they're just going with the flow like i could never be write a false review just so i don't get told off by the internet if it don't it's a film in the end of the day it's a piece yeah. of art if you don't like it then as long as you're not coming out essentially writing a re review which basically says this is uh you know insert rude words here 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 and that's your justification it's only if you can give a you know a, a reason why you don't like it and just kind of you know be upfront about it without being silly then what's the problem i mean look at the last jedi i liked that film lots of people didn't but I, the way some people say they don't like it i think well can you not be a bit more articulate about how you say that rather than to say i didn't like it because it was crap yeah oh, okay. yeah i just i just read that you, yeah somebody i can't even remember what movie it was but i was reading a review right before we started recording and they're like this movie was interesting. I'm like, okay, why? Like, yeah, you can't say it's interesting. That's a it's generic. To be yeah, like you gotta, you gotta give me more than that. What, what made you like it? Um, anyways, uh, let's move on because this, is, these are supposed to be short reviews. Um, yeah, well, that uh, that was that was a favorite. We, that, like I say, that that probably got more because of the the sort of disagreement and the reasons for that. But the next film, I think we're both on the same level, and that's. Welcome to Marwan. You mentioned Robert Zemeckis earlier on. And again, I'm going to run through this. He deserves credit. I put in my review. He deserves credit because, you know, for the design and the creativity that he's shown in adapting a uh, Marwan Cole documentary, which was, you know, a devastating uh, event. A, a guy was beaten to, with an end of his life outside of a bar for the quote-unquote crime of enjoying cross-dressing. He subsequently pretty much lost his memories and he found solace in creating a a fictional world using dolls, like G.I. Joe or Barbie, whatever. And, you know, using that as rehabilitation and modelling himself, one of the dolls on himself, and making him kind of like a super tough kind of commando type. So it's an interesting story, but the film, um, I described it as a write-off because I didn't really like any of it. It's obsessed with the idea of pretty women hanging off of him. Hoagie, who is the mm. main character played by Steve Carell, but also, also claiming that women are saviors of the world. There's all these... I don't like the Zemeckis' insistence on the 
effects. Like he did it in Beowulf and I think the Polar Express where he the digitally imposes people's faces yeah, onto animation. It's creep. I don't like it. It all just the, the film seemed like a stage to have sexy dolls, which is weird, and get his wife on board. Steve Carell is good, but it's not at his best here. It's an absolute waste of a superb cast of actresses. Mm-hmm. Absolute waste. It's thin narratively. It's weird. It's creepy. Not an awful lot worked for me. And a lot of people are tipping this for Oscar glory based on the trailers, based on the film. I think a lot of people have quickly backtracking on that. Yeah, I um, I also didn't like it. Uh, I found the tone to be just so off because he tries to in- interject humor and there's such a tragic story that's being told and then there's that creepiness um embodied in the scene where he's watching porn and says that she's his favorite actress like he has no concept of porn not being an accepted art form by most people um you know like uh yeah it's it just it it almost seems to be mocking the the tragedy in some ways and it's i don't know um it felt so off and Zemeckis seemed like he had no clue what the right tone was for the story that was being told. Um, he was definitely more interested with the fictional world of Marwin Call than he was yeah. with the real-life characters uh, behind it. And that could have been okay, but then maybe just do a movie called Marwin Call, and or Marwin, I guess, to start with, and it just be those fictional characters um, instead of framing it like the true story that it is. And that's the tragedy here is I don't think he, I think he maybe is oblivious too. He's almost like the character playing with his own dolls, you know, um, oblivious true. to how he's treating them in real life. That's a very good point. Yeah. And, and one that, of the other tragedies is only made $8 million off a 50 million budget. Oof, wow. And well, the trailer seemed like it was going to be this uplifting inspirational story. And most of the scenes in the trailer are like throwaway flashback sequences in the movie. Um, uh, I can't think of her name. Um, Janelle, 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 Janelle Monet. Yeah. She seems like she's going to be such this inspirational figure in the trailer. And she's like in the movie for that one scene that you see in the trailer. And then her doll is in the film the whole time. But even that, uh, it's completely downplayed. Um, it, it was really disappointing. I was really went in with like, Oh, I hope this is going to be great. And walked out like, Oh my God. Um, and my daughter felt the same way. Uh, she was also excited about it and walked out like that was weird. I'm like, yep. Yep, it was. Uh, so many people walked out. I said to you, so many people walked out of my screening and just were literally like, you know, W, what the hell was that? What What have I just what? They were confused by it. And mm-hmm. I was confused. I mean, you've got Steve, Isa Gonzalez, Jamel Monet, Diane Kruger, Gwendolyn Christie puts on this ridiculous accent, Siobhan Williams. What a great female cast. Stephanie Von Fetten as well. And why waste them? Leslie Mann had the most thankless task in this as to kind of, happy-go-lucky neighbor who gets drawn into the world and i felt so bad for her because i think she just looks embarrassed but i would be interested to see what mark hogan camp who is the subject of this what he really thinks about this film because they made him out to be weird yeah i i do want to watch the documentary now though i am uh compelled um i have not done that yet but it's on my list uh to try to watch here in the near future so uh, the favourite I like I didn't like John did Welcome to Mar when we're on the same level with next up is a is a Netflix film we're, we're going streaming yeah and it was one that I uh, was really excited about um, it stars Danielle McDonald um, who I first was introduced to in um, 
Patty Cakes. Patty Cakes. Man, my brain went completely dead for a second. She has a very <laughs> small cameo in uh, Lady Bird. She has, uh, there's one scene where the, the woman's talking about, the, like, the abortions, um, and she asked one of the questions, and then that's it. Um, but she's also in Bird Box. Yeah, yeah um, but Dumplin', uh, it's a feel-good, just excellent film. I, I had so much uh, joy watching. Um, Jennifer Aniston uh, was, was really good in it as well. Um, the other, her best friend in the movie, whose name I'm not going to remember right now, is also in Lady Bird. Um, and then, uh, the two girls that join in Taylor, uh, or something Bex Taylor, Bex Taylor Klaus. That's it. Um, uh, I, I am finding her to be a bit of a over actress. Like she seems like an actress who's aware of the fact that she's an actress in the movies. Like, like everyone else is trying to be like grounded and real. And she's always feels like she's having too much fun acting. Um, but by the end of Dumpling, I actually found her to be better um when she first shows up i think she's that same person she is in hellfest and um by the end though i actually liked her and and found her to be a little more endearing and then the other girl um who's only been on the uh hairspray live uh nbc thing i think other than this movie maddie balio yeah she was excellent too and i i just um i don't know i had really good time with Dumplin'. my wife and daughter we just rewatched it because uh i i watched it without them they watched it with me for the first time, and we all really enjoyed it. Um, I had, I just think it's a compelling story. I like the fact that there's really not like an like a true like villain in the movie. Like everyone's there's there's conflict, but it's not this over dramatized or melodramatic or even movie level of antagonist. Like there's just little things. It's a lot of it's internal. You know how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about things, and I, I really appreciate those types of like smaller believable grounded stories where the stakes make sense and i had a good time with this movie yep same here i I, this is one of the films which i wasn't even i wasn't really aware of at all it wasn't until john mentioned it and i checked it out and realized danielle mcdonald's in it opposite jennifer aniston i thought this could be quite cool and look what and when it came out on netflix i was there i want to say open a night but all i did was sit down in my front room but (laughs) yeah I, i i'm on exactly the same level there's not much more i can say i like the fact that the body shaming angle it's prominent, and it's what fuels the character, but it doesn't feel overdone or gratuitous because you're you're supposed to feel for Willow Dean, who is Danielle McDonald, um, but you you're not wallowing in sympathy. And they don't try to, and it never gets like mawkish or anything bad at like that. And I think Anne Fletcher, who directs this, done a really good job of restraining that, so you get just enough where you feel for the character, but it's not overly done. Yeah, uh, the performances are good. If yeah, if you like Bex Taylor Klaus, you'll like it here. If you if you're not a fan, yeah, you may not like it. I agree that towards the end, her kind of shtick worked as at the end of the film. It felt more organic with the story before that. Yeah, it did just feel like a different character. It felt like Lakeith Stanfield in Death Note last the other year. But oh. um, I still think the idea of grown men judging teen girls is weird. But yes. um, Dumpling doesn't sexualize the girls. Or the the competition, you know, the, the, it never becomes like bitchy and nasty. In fact, these girls are supporting each other, which is encouraging. Yeah. It's, so it's a really nice film, which plays on its strength. And like we said, the body shaming and the competition is done well. It's restrained, but it's it's still there. And yeah, it's a feel-good movie. It's well-directed. It's another good step for Danielle McDonald. Is it conventional, but predictable? 
yeah, but when it's done well, who cares? Because yeah, there's nothing wrong with work. a well-made genre film, right? Like exactly. if, it, if it's executed right and if it does what it set out, sets out to do. Um, and I want to give props to Danielle McDonald too because Patty Cakes, her her character has a Jersey accent. Here she has a Texas accent, and she's from New Zealand, I think, and she's or Australia or something. Down under, yeah. And man, I think she's like, also, yeah. she's got some talent with changing that accent because I I watched her interview on Seth Meyers talking about Dumplin', and like I was like, holy crap, you can't, you don't get that hint at all, and it's it's insane like that because then you watch like um. Uh, Rebel Wilson, who every character she plays has to be Australian because she can't drop the accent. She hasn't got that range. No, no uh... yeah, like, and then you, you you watch her. And I don't mean to compare them because I'm not I'm not comparing them because they're both larger actresses, which I you know whatever. I'm comparing them because of that fact that like Rebel Wilson's getting all these big movies, and I'm like she's crap compared to like <laughs> Danielle McDonald. Like Danielle McDonald is destroying everything I've seen her in so far. I've been super impressed with. Maybe not one of the other movies we're going to talk about here, but that's not her fault, I don't think. Uh, I think it's the she's movie. Gonna, she's popping up again. So with Dumplin, you've got to love yourself, love your body, love the movie because it's a lot of fun. Now, talking about loving movies, if you're going to – if you're online, if you if you have any kind of presence on an online movie uh, social media, so if you're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, this film has blown up. This is the film we mentioned earlier on that is being lauded as a cinematic masterpiece, the best thing since Gone with the Wind. And before we get into it, I want to say that me and John, we did get the movie. So do not level that at us when you come for us. But that film is Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. Um, so I'll start getting the obvious out of the way. It looks beautiful. It is mm-hmm. sumptuously shot. But it's not entertaining or intriguing to me in the slightest. It may be. It's a personal film based on Quaron's upbringing. It may be. be may have been too personal because Yelitsa Aparicio, the main character, she is superb in this film. She's yeah. brilliant. The rest of the cast and characters were either uninteresting or sidelined. I didn't care about them at all. I just didn't. And. We get racism, ethnicity, boundaries and class and issues that are all apparent and raised, but they're kind of just brushed upon the surface of them. They're never delved into. Negative male attitudes are uh, afforded more time, and it's successful in getting a message across that some men are horrible. There's a major scene in this which was harrowing, but the kind of glorious denouement towards the end, which is meant to be this kind of wonderfully up, straight, like uplifting yet scary moment didn't affect me in the slightest, which is what people are talking about is their, one of their favourite moments of all time. But uh, Roma, for me, is one of them films that you're either going to be utterly mesmerised by or you're just going to think, yeah, that was okay. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it aims very high for the visually, uh, visually and it hits that, those marks because some of the techniques uh, in making this film... The 360 shots, the one-take shots are sublime. Kuaron knows how to make a film look good, frame a film, and give the audience an absolute you know, gorgeous treat. But it's a long film, very long film. It's asking you to get emotionally invested in, in a lot of characters which, don't, which aren't afforded any depth or development. You're just kind of expected to like them because they're a family it's mm. I don't know the world is saying it's the greatest film ever it isn't I think I actually preferred The Prisoner of Azkaban to this 
which I, I think is a good film. But yeah, uh, for me, Roma's a great sort of documentary-esque type film, which looked brilliant, but I didn't find it entertaining in the slightest. I'm never going to go back and rewatch it. So stunning, beautiful to look at. That does not make a good film. How about yourself? I I liked it a little more, I think, than you, but um, I definitely it's not in my top twenty for the year by any means. And um, it's one of those movies though. When I listen to other critics, I'm just like, is it me? Did I not get it? Exactly. And, um, I don't I don't think that's the case. I mean, there's I know that my history knowledge of of Mexico City, especially in that time period, is severely lacking. Um. There's there's a lot of stuff happening that I feel like I should be more aware of, and I'm I'm like I don't know why those things are happening, and I feel like I should to add context to it, and I think that could help. Um, like there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. There's so many things, and one of the the things that the slash film cast pointed out was just the sheer volume of like stuff happening, the the work that had to go in to the scenes because of the long takes and the wide shots are insane but that doesn't mean that they're good like you know what i mean like like yes it's impressive that you were able to make all of these things work while you were filming but why did you do that like why did you do those things yeah. is it just for the spectacle of it because i don't feel like it added anything to the narrative um like a good example is when she's walking i think from the date or she's walking to go find the the guy and there's like a a cannon in the background and a man is being shot out of the cannon there's like all this stuff going on around her and it's it's got to be perfectly choreographed because it's a long take it's just us following her as she's walking and all this stuff's happening in the background if anything goes wrong the whole shot's ruined but why like what is the significance of the man being shot out of the cannon what is the point and that's i think a lot of scenes in this film it's like yes it was very complex to make that happen but what is the point of making it happen? Like, just because you you do all this choreography doesn't mean I'm going to appreciate it if there's no sense to the purpose of it. Like, yeah. Um, and that's this movie is it's kind of extravagant in that way. There are a lot of shots like that. Um, you know, with, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything, but it, it's it's definitely a film that um, I've heard like people who maybe are more familiar with the uh, the 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 class system or the the working class that is represented in the film maybe will appreciate this kind of love letter to his maid um or his nanny or however you want to whatever you want to call the main character's role in the family but um yeah i i don't know why it's so beloved um so much of it feels detached and like we're a fly on the wall just observing and so i i don't feel that connection to the character that you would normally expect to feel in a movie like this. So I think you just hit the nail on the head. Detached is the word. I don't dislike Rome. I think I gave it a six out of 10 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was, and I was one of only six critics on RT to have to give this a down vote, which again, as I've said, if I don't like it, I'm not going to say I'm not going to give it a good review because seemingly everybody else is. And I have read so many things where I think, I'm not sure people have been necessarily honest with their appraisals of the film yeah. by constantly giving it 10 out of 10 because what are you giving 10 out of 10 visually? I'm not saying it didn't resonate with people because there are moments in it which are emotional and I'm never going to disagree with that. There are some emotional moments, yeah. but the majority didn't land for me. 
And I also thought she's not a very good maid because she wouldn't pick up that mess. But um, <laughs> I, like I said, in terms of what the movie offered, I, I believe we got what the film was, was offering. Because I don't think Kawaran's going to assume everybody knows about the class struggles or the racism issues of that time in Mexico City. Because as I mentioned, he mentions the racism, boundaries, class, ethnicity. She's a maid working for a European family, a white European family. There's... I think he spells it out, but it never gets delved into. So I think yeah. I'm I think I'm right in saying that we got what he was aiming for. So it's not like we're sitting there thinking, oh, as like a bump, as like a bunch of bumpkins not getting it. We just thought, oh, yeah. it's too arty. I think yeah. we got the message it's going for, but it just didn't grab us, which is again absolutely fine. If it got if same as anything we've mentioned, whether it's Transformers, Roma, Marwin, whatever. If you loved it, you know, hats off. That is what film is about, but. This one didn't work for us, and I'm. I was surprised given how much love it got, because I thought I would enjoy this. I liked the fact it's in black and white, whether it needed to be or not. I just thought it added a nice touch to it. Yeah, um, and I, I'm indifferent to the black and white. It, uh, Big Tuna, um, who is a friend of the show, uh, he pointed out that it feels almost too polished for black and white. Mm-hmm. That a lot of times, if you're going to make a choice to go black and white, it's because you want it to feel gritty or old or you know vintage yeah and it this one is it's so smooth and grayscale um i don't know like i kind of agreed with that after he pointed it out to me so uh, and it's too it's too long as well yeah it's it's a little bit over overbearing um but the next film yes uh, i'm gonna leave this one for you to lead on with all right um spider-man into the spider-verse uh has really just reminded me how much i love spider-man um spider-man has long since been my second favorite superhero batman being first as i've already mentioned um but i've always been a big fan of spider-man since i was a little kid um i grew up watching the animated show on fox when i was a kid as well um is some of the first comic books i ever purchased so i've been a fan for a long time um i have been an advocate for the uh tom holland spider-man being the best um despite many people clinging to Tobey Maguire, I really don't understand why you can't let him go. But uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best uh, take on Spider-Man to hit the big screen. Um, I love this movie, and the more I think back on it, the more I love it. Um, Haley Steinfeld also in this movie uh, as Gwen Stacy, but you get Jake Johnson and Shameik Moore um, and some other really cool voice cast. Nick Cage as... Uh, um, Spider-Man Noir, which is my favorite Liv Spider-Man Shriver. costume. Uh, Liv Shriver as Kingpin. I mean, you just get some really cool stuff in this movie. And um, the idea that we get Miles Morales as Spider-Man instead of Peter Parker as well is really cool. Something that fans have been clamoring for since his his uh, entry into the comic book world. Um, I, I had so much fun. I love the art style, which initially I thought I wasn't going to like. I ended up really loving. And... Um, this is the movie I've been waiting to go see the most out of everything I've seen this year. I really want to go back to the theater and watch this one again before it leaves. And I definitely will be adding it to my collection. Um, I don't know where it's going to end up, but right now it is in my top 10 for the year. I, I absolutely adore this movie. Um, and I wish more people were seeing it. Uh, that's one of the bummers of December for me is that um, when you look at like Aquaman making 800 million worldwide, I don't know what Spider-Man's currently sitting at, but it's not nearly enough. It deserves all the money. Million worldwide. Which is not bad, but it deserves all your money, people. Uh, go see this movie. It's excellent. 
I wasn't excited for this film at all because I've always been ambivalent towards animated superhero flicks. I don't know why. There are I know because there are some out there which are magnificent, but I wasn't excited or or, or okay or, or any any rush to go and see this. I was willing to let it, you know, play for a week or two before I go to see it. But I'd heard the clamour for this film, akin to Roma. Look at us um, uh, ditching the art house flick and loving the animated superhero <laughs> film. But um, I'd heard the clamour for this, so I thought I'm going to go and watch it. It took me a few minutes to get used to the visual style, but my God, what a surprise this film was. I, you get that phrase, it could, it came straight from the comic book page. This did! They used yeah. the same <laughs> techniques, and it literally did. They used the same 3D, 2D techniques, and wow! It's got a brilliant voice cast, like you've said. The writing's great. It's surprisingly emotional for a film like this. Yep, yep. The Miles Morales character was excellent. He isn't the kind of goody-goody Peter Parker. This is a hip-hop lover, Spider-Man. Mm. Um, he works. I loved Miles Morales as Spider-Man. The humour's funny. You can tell Lord and Miller have got a hand on this. There's a yeah. bagel joke, which literally made me scream with laughter. Oh, my anything. God, it's so funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> one which made me die almost. But um, it, oh, it's such a great... It, it also, we get Spider-Ham in this film. Homecoming yes. didn't have that. This one's better than Homecoming because of that. But um, And on that... I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. He's the most Peter Parker-ish. Andrew Garfield's the best actor out of the three, but I still prefer Tobey Maguire just because it reminds me of being young again, and I wish I was young again. But um, uh. I had a brilliant time with this film. I did not expect to. I was, I would. The whole thing was just like a fun roller coaster. Oh, I I couldn't recommend this film enough. It hit my top twenty of the year, which I'm telling you now. I would have bet my everything i would have bet my job that this wouldn't have been near my top 20 fil- best film of 2018 at the beginning of the year i mean what do a, i know hey a year that we have infinity war ant-man versus the ant-man and the wasp not versus and yep. black panther this is my favorite superhero movie and um i mean we also have aquaman and venom but let's not even get into those but yeah. um this movie just again it 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 doesn't break the genre it just executes the genre perfectly um it takes it, the best elements of it and mm-hmm. merges them to, it take it makes fun of itself yes whilst also be, be using those cliches and conventions to its strengths it, it just it's just so well done and there's so much love in this movie and and i don't want to spoil anything but it might have the best stanley cameo ever um especially yes. considering the time that it happens you know after his passing um the emotion behind it just hit hard for me um really really love this movie i i cannot wait to add this to my collection if you haven't seen it please 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 go see this movie it deserves your box office dollars more so than most things playing right now so statesman and kingsman are both calling it the best comic book film of 2018 in the year when avengers infinity war was only the fourth film to hit the two billion it's for me it's the best spider-man film since spider-man 2 um and this is what comic book film should be like for me so um, go out and see it. The next one, you don't, you don't have to go anywhere to see the next film. You can just have a cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is, put your Netflix on, and watch Bird Box, see the meme-generating machine off Netflix. Yeah. Um, the book is apparently brilliant, apparently excellent, apparently very chilling. Um, people shouting similarities to A Quiet Place. Yeah. I'm not entirely sold on those. Nope. Entirely. I, when I watched it, I was thinking more, this, was, this reminds me of The Mist. Uh, the Frank Darabont film from about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It reminded me of that, you know, the the entity or whatever it is lurking outside, but we don't see what it is. 
you know, whereas in like the same as in the mist, you can't go outside because you will die. Similar to this, you can't really go outside. Because, but you know, everybody wears blindfolds. Everyone's seen that in the trailer. Uh, you've got Sandra Bullock's in it. She throws herself in with her typical, you know, commitment and gusto, and she sells the character of Mallory, which was a name I couldn't get used to throughout the whole film. I thought the introductory scene was excellent. For me, I thought it really set up that we were going to get this really tense thriller of a ride, but they never really, they never really realises that. There's a couple of really good scenes in it, and um, I, I think we're in disagreement here. But I liked the flashback scenes a bit more, just because I felt a bit more engaged with them. Uh, but the key weapon of Bird Box, which is the blindfolds and the lack of sight, I don't think they really delved into that. I think it's Susanna B. I think her name was the director. I don't think she used that as well as she could have done to give us a real sort of tense horror thriller film. So for me, it was a missed, the potential wasn't fully realised. It wasn't particularly well written. I thought it was solid, but it lacked that killer instinct to make this a real top dollar film for me. But I enjoyed it when I watched it, but I'm maybe not in the biggest rush to go back and watch it anytime soon. I would say uh, put the blindfold on and just not watch it. Um, I... <laughs> I didn't like this almost at all. Um, I definitely do not like it being compared to A Quiet Place, which I loved. Uh, I feel like this is nowhere near what A Quiet Place is able to do, especially in terms of tension. I was never really that tense in this film, partly because um, so much of it is pretty predictable because of the use of flashbacks. Because we, we start the movie with just Sandra Bullock and two kids, and then we flash back to a whole group of people that are no longer with her. So it's like, well... They're all going to die, um, and they surely do, and they don't die in, in fun, horror movie, inventive ways either, nor are they, like, super devastating deaths. Like, for the most part, there's a couple that hit harder than others, but um, it just felt like, and so many of the scenes with the flashbacks feel so contrived, and the dialogue is so cheesy, and so many little choices of, like, weeks have passed, and a character's still wearing his vest of his employment at a grocery store. It's like, dude, take the vest off. Like, come on. Have a shave. Yeah, like, it's it's so many little things like that that just wore me out, and I was just, like, rolling my eyes. Felt it was cheesy, and I am definitely in the minority of this movie. People are raving about this film. Um, my favorite comparison, though, that I've seen is to M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, yeah, oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. Which is one of the worst movies, uh, period, much less from M. Night Shyamalan, which is saying something. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I was so mad at myself for not making that joke first um, because it's so, it's so true. It's the happening, too. It's like, but now the chloroform will kill you if you see it. So it's like, <laughs> um, it's so, man, uh, you know, it just doesn't work on so many ways, and... Um, I, I do think it's an interesting premise. I feel like the uh, the choice to cut back and forth is is questionable at best. Um, and again, I feel like the flashback scenes are important scenes. I just don't think they're executed well. And I also think because we're cross-cutting with two time periods that it, it, it kind of breaks the tension of both of them. Because we, we can kind of anticipate outcomes as a result. So... Um, yeah, I, I, I like those flashbacks because it reminded me of a better film, which was The Mist, and the kind of mystery that it gave you. Because I was wondering during it, during those flashback scenes and also the other scenes, what is actually, what's going on? What is happening here? What's the big bad or what's happened to the world? I was, it, it, it hooked me in that sense, but 
Hell, it's, it's generating a lot of memes. I saw a brilliant one today. It was um, the Blind Side, a bird box story. Oh my god! And I almost that's died when I saw it. That's they put they they blindfolded Sandra Bullock and um, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, uh, I can't remember. Quentin Aaron from that film, and it is hilarious. Please go check it out. Bird box. Yeah, I I'm not certainly not raving about it, but I thought it was above average. I, I yeah. wanted it to be a bit better though, but. Uh, speaking of what, sorry, go on. I was, I, I think it's something with me and um, what I want from horror movies, and I feel like Bird Box does not deliver um, as a thriller or as a horror film. Like it just is, it feels cheesy to me. And again, I, th- I do think Sandy B does a great job in her role, and I also thought Sarah Paulson does a really good job, even though she's not in the movie very much. Um, and I, I feel like Trevante Rhodes needs a better agent. Um, because <laughs> uh, man that and Pre- this movie and predator it's like come on dude you were in moonlight like you're a good actor like let's get you in something better but um he was in 12 strong as well if anybody remembers that film i didn't see year. that one uh but i you know i hadn't heard bad things or good things about 12 strong just exactly kind of <laughs> yeah i but, don't know what his upcoming projects are but hopefully he's got something more akin to moonlight coming up yeah and I, I'd buy him as an action star, but he's just taking, like, bad roles. Um, I like him. Yeah, I like him. Uh, it's not him. It's just the I think the movies he's doing are not so good. But um, also, he's always, like, second fiddle. And I feel like he could be a lead, you know? Because um, he's second to Sandy B here, and he's, like, I, I guess third in The Predator, like, from, like, the main guys. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. I just worry with... Because, uh, again, he's one of those people who... Mainly because of Moonlight. Moonlight. If I see his name on the cast, I'm in because I yeah. like him as an actor. But Me too. I worry that his career could go down the crap action film path where he leads those kind of films and occasionally mm. does a really good, you know, a serious film, if you will. Yeah. All right. Um, so the next uh, is where we we split. Um, I'm just going to power through the four that I've seen, and then you can uh, end on the two that you've seen that I haven't. Yep. Far um, away. All right. So Clint Eastwood's The Mule. I think is uh, not so good. Um, it's definitely not the movie that you're being sold in the trailer. Uh, it's not the, like the drug smuggling action movie that I feel like the movie wants you to think it is. Um, it, it, I don't know. There's some weird racism stuff in the movie that I found like off-putting. I didn't like the mule. Um, I did like Bradley Cooper in the mule though. Uh, Mary Queen of Scots, I found to be so boring. Oh man, I almost walked out of it, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> But I was very tempted because I was like, you know what? No one will care if I don't review this. Um, but I, I stuck through it, and I just – I was so not into it. Um, Vice, Yeah, I know. Uh, Vice, the Adam McKay uh, new political satire, if you will, um, with Christian Bale gaining weight to be uh, Vice President Dick Cheney. Um, I found entertaining – nowhere near as entertaining as The Big Short, but uh, overall entertaining, a little too, you know, like – he, I feel like McKay tries to act like he's being neutral, but he's very much not being neutral. Um, and I feel like some of the things that are being presented as fact can't possibly be fact as much as they are subjective opinion. Um, just because I don't feel like there's a way to know some of the things that he's presenting as truth. Uh, I, I like Sam Rockwell as George Bush a whole lot. And I like Christian Bale's uh, performance a, a bunch. I f- kind of feel like... Um, Steve Carell, though, as uh, Rumsfeld, um, felt way too much like Michael Scott. Um, like, uh, like maybe a meaner Michael Scott. Uh, just, yeah. 
Um, and then Boy Erased, the Joel Edgerton directed and co-stars with Russell Crowe, uh, the like 20th movie for Lucas Hedges this year, and um, Nicole Kidman, who also is in a lot of stuff uh, last year and this coming year. Um, and it's another, uh, it's the second film about the gay conversion therapy um, with Miseducation of Cameron Post uh, coming out also. I much prefer Miseducation of Cameron Post, uh, but Boy Erased is fine. I think it's it's a compelling film. Um, it's a little slow at times, and um, there are some things that happen that I feel like it's based on a, a book, uh, like a true story memoir, but some of it just feels like, is that really how it happened? That seems so... It seems so much like a movie moment and not a real life moment. And it doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it does make you like question the 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 truth behind some of the messages. So, um, overall, uh, uh, I would say you could skip the Mule, skip Mary Queen of Scots. Vice is if you are, especially if you're like left wing aligned and you kind of hate Dick Cheney, you're gonna <laughs> enjoy bashing Dick Cheney. Um, and then Boy Erased, um, unless you are pro-gay conversion therapy, uh, I think you will um, be moved by the movie to a degree and maybe disturbed by some of the things that are uh, that occur in the film. But um, what have you seen, Matt, that I didn't? Oh, man. Well, I was going to ask you, out of those films, which are the best? Just quickly before that, Christian Bale, best actor? Because he's getting buzz. I, I would say he definitely deserves a nomination. I don't think he would be my choice, although right now I can't think of who would be my choice. Okay, um, maybe Bradley Cooper. I really like Cooper in uh, Star is Born a lot. I'd have to sit and think about that, but I'm yeah. sure I can come up with some. But again, I'll power through these. Uh, the first one is Mowgli. I mentioned Netflix. They really made a go for it at the end of the year, I think. Some some worked, some didn't. Um, took three years to get to this, where we are. This is the Andy Circus version, not the John Favreau version, uh, which was a lot better, I think. This one's darker and grittier, uh, with less singing which doesn't make it any more appealing or interesting. A tight script and actually interesting characters would have done that, and Mowgli is lacking in pretty much all of that. Um, the Favreau version looks a lot better than this, which is uh, strange given that Andy Serkis and his talent is behind this. It's not bad looking, but some a lot of things feel off here. The characters don't look great. Baloo and Bagheera and Carr, something doesn't feel right for them. Why Andy Serkis was allowed to voice the bear in his own film with that stupid accent is beyond me because it took me out of him every time he opened his mouth uh the actual live cast of motion capture was a bit jarring it was that the young boy playing Mowgli was okay I thought he was just okay um but I bought him as Mowgli but he was just okay Andy Serkis is developing as a filmmaker you can tell he's worked with Peter Jackson because there's so many establishing shots that look like they were from Middle Earth in this film, but <laughs> when they gave this, when Warner Brothers gave this to Netflix, there was a big warning sign there. What Mowgli wasn't the worst film of last year. It wasn't anywhere near my bottom twenty. It's just totally a mess. If go and watch the go and watch the John Favreau version, that's a hell of a lot better because this doesn't know whether it's a kids' film or an adults' film. It's not the worst film in the world. It's just mind-numbingly average. And finally, was uh, the film getting a lot of hate at the minute, Holmes and Watson. I'm not going to say anything about this film, other than the fact that, believe the hype, it is as bad as everybody is saying. Oh, it's not man. funny. It's, in fact, it's offensively unfunny in how bad it is. Um, just don't. This is Will Ferrell and John C. Riley falling off the perch massively here. John C. Riley is going to recover with a couple of films coming out, but Holmes and Watson is uh, an abysmal comedy in a year where comedy wasn't 
at its strongest. So don't watch Holmes and Watson. That's my one time I'll probably say that. If you really, if you like comedy, don't watch it. So, um, quick, just quickly then, December, good month, bad month, middling month. Where are we at? I would say it's overall a good month. I mean, it was a busy month. I felt like I I was at the theater quite a bit um, early, uh, but there are some major like benefit surprises as well as some devastating uh, failures. Um, like we we mentioned, uh, Spider Man and Bumblebee. I think were both huge positive surprises. Um, and then with on Netflix, while again I don't think we're as positive on Roma as others. By comparison to some of the Netflix original films, Roma is outstanding. Um, if we're gonna start getting that kind of like artistic uh, filmmaking on Netflix, there's there's uh, hope for the streaming world yeah. of film. Yeah, we had. We got a bit of everything. We got some terrible Holmes and Watson. For me, Mortal Engines. We got some fabulous. We've got Mary Poppins and Bumblebee and Spider Man. And mm-hmm. we got the middling ones in the middle as well. It's kind of like, yeah. for me, Mowgli and for yourself and uh, the Mary Queen of Scots Boy Arrays, which was kind of there. Mm-hmm. And, but so, overall, I think it's a good month. Netflix, like I say, really gave it a good go. Um, and I hope, I really do hope that they make, in, they make in, inroads into the business because. The opportunities that they offer are fabulous. But for the bloody awesome movie podcast in December, that is that. But before we go, JB, it's a new year. Are you excited for 2019? And is there anything out there you could think of that you are most anticipating? Well, um, I went on Letterboxd, and if you follow me on Letterboxd, you can search Burke Reviews. Uh, I have a list of most anticipated of 2019. My number one is a movie that will probably shock, and I also don't think it's going to actually come out this year, as they are still in pre-production, so I think it's going to be postponed, but it has not officially been postponed yet, is uh, J.M. Silent Bob Reboot. Um, (laughs) I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, and while his last couple of films have not been uh, the level that I would like them to be, um, I have hope that maybe this one will do it. Uh, It it may not, but I I do like J.M. Silent Bob Strike Back, which some people hate, um, so I'm hopeful for that. Uh, I am a big Star Wars nerd, so Episode Nine uh, is obviously high on my list. Um, I've already mentioned Spider-Man, so the Far From Home is up there for me. Uh, John Wick Chapter 3. Um, and then I think the one that is going to be the first one of my excited list is Glass. Um, I yes. love Unbreakable so much. I thought Split was good. Um, my favorite part of Split was when I realized it was connected to Unbreakable. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, I, I'm excited about Glass. I'm also really nervous about Glass, that it could be the one that disappoints me the most. Um, and there's a bunch of... I have a list of 28 movies um, that, again, some of them I don't know if they'll actually end up happening, like uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, the third Bill and Ted movie that we've been promised oh. for years. Um, I would love for it to come out. I don't think it's going to. <laughs> I'd love for it to be good. I'm worried. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, you know, I, Keanu... Um, I don't know, man. I, I just have a, a soft spot. I tend to be a little more forgiving with some of his movies anyway, so. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan for, through and through. Episode 9 is the one film. If I could watch any film and see it, it's going to be Episode 9, just because obviously Avengers Endgame, you want to see how they're going to oh, yeah. tie yeah. up what happened there. Uh, Pet Cemetery, It Chapter 2. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to those horror films. Godzilla, too. King of the Monsters. I Just I, give me that film now. It I cannot wait, dude. I hope that's good. Um, I didn't want to steal the thunder, so I didn't list everything. But yeah, that one's on my... That's like number 12 on my list. I, I love the Godzilla movies. Um, it, 
I don't like it anymore, but even in 1998 when it came out, the Matthew Broderick one, I liked it at the time. It's god-awful now, but um, I do like – I like kaiju movies in general. Like, I'm a big fan of Pac Rim. I like both of them. Uh, most people hated the second one. I found joy in it. Um, but uh, I'm excited about Godzilla, uh, King of Monsters. A little apprehensive as well. Um but it already, like, the the complaint I heard the most about the last Godzilla movie was that you didn't see the monster enough. And this one looks like that will not be an issue. It looks like we're <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. see a lot of monsters. Um, so, Yeah. Well, my apprehensive film of the year is Toy Story 4. Me is too, it gonna be as, Is it going to... It's got a hell of a bar to hit. And the only when you hear the, the, the main stars saying that they were breaking down, they couldn't finish the scenes, etc. I just wanted to be good. And firstly, it, did they really need to do Toy Story 4? But... I'm going to be there as soon as it comes out. And the film, for me, which is how I really hope is going to be good, the kind of out there film is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, just for the oh, cast. Chris Evans, Daniel Craig, Anna Diarmas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Lakeith Stanfield, Tony Collette, wow. Christopher Plummer. Wow! It's a mystery crime film headed up by Ryan Johnson coming out in November, I think. What's so, that one uh, called? Knives Out. Knives Out, huh? Yeah, so just, just for the cast... It's a mystery crime film, which I love anyway. I like Ryan Johnson's films. Me fight too. me. Um, so that's my kind of left-field one. So um, that's what we're thinking for 2019. I'm sure we're going to go into more depth in another show or something one day. But in the meantime, you've mentioned the letterbox. Where else can the world find you online? Yeah, you can find me at BurkeReviews.com and follow me on social media at BurkeReviews. I implore you to do it. Yeah, you can find me at WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk across the socials with just what I watch tonight. And you can find mine and John's podcast, the family of them, on any good podcast provider. So yep. just search for those and listen, you're doing yourself a treat if you do. Um, so that's that for December. We're moving to New Year. We'll be back in February of the January episode, which was a mouthful. But until next time from me, see ya and stay bloody awesome. And from me, keep watching movies. Blood, 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 blood.